Hi there, welcome to an episode of an Inside View podcast in association with On The Ball Team Building. I'm your host, Jamie Finn. If this is your first time listening, please do go back to episode one and have a listen. If you haven't done so already, please do click subscribe. There is a business or sports person in each of us, and we hope that our guest stories will help our listeners to chase their dreams. Welcome to episode 52 of an Inside View podcast. This week we're joined by Ollie Fever, owner of the Shire Bar and Cafe in Clarny. One thing about Ollie that many people might know is he's one of the few people in Kerry to hold a Millennium Cup medal. Between football and hospitality, we have a huge amount to cover, so let's bring him on. Hi Ali, welcome to the Interview Podcast. It's uh, it's great to have you on the first face-to-face interview that I'm I'm doing. Started out fifty weeks ago, um, and it's it's you know it's hard to believe that we're we're here, and it took took nearly nearly a year to to you know to chat to someone face to face. Um, how are things going for you? Good, good, Jamie. Thanks for inviting me on. Anyway, first of all, and fair play for doing all the hard work you're doing. Um, and thanks for me, me being the first guest. But um, yeah, look, yeah, things are things are, are, are I suppose to start on a positive, Jamie. We're we're nearly there. We're probably three weeks out from opening up on the seventh of June. Um, I think we have to look at the positive. The last fourteen or fifteen months have been detrimental for everyone. You know, no matter what level of business or personality you've been in, people have been in. I think it's um, we're nearly out the other side. I think you know the vaccines are rolling out. Um, the hairdressers are back open. All the girls are, uh, you know, in, in a good place. So look, it's um, it's it's good, Jamie. But like that, we want to get our businesses open again in a and I suppose in a safe and efficient manner. So the seventh of June can't come fast enough for for me personally, in a way. Um, like we're doing works at the moment, obviously extending our area for it. Look, it's outdoor dining is what we're starting with, mm-hmm. which I think actually is a good move. I think a slow phased reopening is probably the right way to go this time and get us all back to work. And, um, you know, maybe in three or four weeks time after that, if everything is going according to plan, we'll be all indoors and look, hopefully it'll be back to normal. Like last summer was very, very good. Um, I think Kerry was exceptionally good um, regarding cases and whatnot during the summer. But um, look, I, I think it's all positive for me in a way at the moment, you know, and I think you, you can see that even in the vibe this week of meeting people around town or in the shop. It's like we're nearly there. You know, and I think all the hard work has been done. Mm-hmm. So yeah, look, I, I think it's um, it, it's going in the right direction. Yeah, I, I kind of get that vibe. You know, when I when I met you earlier on, there was um, you know, you can kind of get the the you know, there's that aura of of uh, optimism there with you. Um, and you know, I I'm you know I'm I'm obviously here now this afternoon, and you know, there's a lot of work going on. Um, and you know, I suppose just kind of give people an insight what to expect. You know when they do come into the shire again yeah look i suppose uh, the hospitality trade is all about welcoming people mm-hmm. and i suppose making that as safe as possible is the the priority that's not going to change um the fact it's outdoor we're going to try to make it as comfortable as possible we're doing a big outdoor area hopefully catering for between 60 and 70 people but i think from the outset we'll still have all the procedures i think all the signing in people personal responsibility mask wearing I think all that is still, is still have to be in place. Um, social distancing. We're still waiting on the guidelines. They should be um, issued at the end of this week. Mm-hmm. So I, I think social distancing, be it a metre and a half or two metres, they were the big debates last year, what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. But I think, look, for me personally, is, is I can't wait to meet people. 
and I think that's why I will for me personally anyway that's why I'm in the business I mean is because meeting people people on a social capacity like the, everyone is saying look they're they're having these few drinks at home and it's fine but like the reason we go out is to meet people mm-hmm. I think you look at any premises you go take your local bar right I know loads of individuals who would go to the local bar on their own but they go there to meet somebody there's nobody going to stay at the bar on their own. You go, you go out to meet people. And it's the same for the, the lady who's going for a cup of coffee in the morning or they're going for lunch. You go out to meet people. So like that's, I think, what I'm looking forward to. And you know, the warm, hospitality welcome, you know, that we, we have in Killarney in a way, but I think in the whole hospitality industry, mm-hmm. like anybody who's in hospitality, you know, that's what they're in it for, is to meet people and, you know, have fun and, you know, create memories. So that, like that's what I can't wait for. And I suppose... I can't wait to hear what people are at for the last 14, 15 months because everyone was doing something different. Everyone's after losing, putting on weight, losing weight, <laughs> or they've climbed so many mountains around the place, or they've gone uh, open water swimming or whatever you want to call it. But like that's what I can't wait is the stories of what people got up to, and you know, which will be it'll be good, and that'll come in time as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I think it's very important for us to get open find our feet and like for customers to come in and find our feet as well because they they've been socially neglected as well for the last 14 15 months mm-hmm. so um look yeah it, 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 it's going to be good jamie so look it's i suppose just something you touched on there earlier on as well um you know hopefully the 7th of june we open up the hospitality sector hopefully three to four weeks later you know there'd be a further reduction of um of restrictions or loosening of restrictions i should say but then you know you see across the pond in in the UK, um, they're kind of open up very quickly. I suppose there's a cautious reopening here in, in yeah, Ireland. Yeah, look, I suppose um, they are, and I see like I, I see in social media, like in in Britain, that look they're all wearing their jackets, they're all wearing their hats, like which is look, it's still not warm out there, but. I kind of agree with the government this time around. Maybe we don't agree with everything they do. I think they're a cautious approach this time because, like, for me personally, Jamie, I've been through three three shutdowns and it is the worst I could ever... I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy. Like, the mental draining and physical draining of closing down your business. Um, it's like walking around with your hands tied behind your back. All the goodness and all the effort that you put into your business and to be taken away from you out of your control and obviously look we all want to be responsible business people but like it's i I do not want another lockdown or i do not want my business to be closed Mm -hmm. um so i would actually prefer to wait it out this time like closing on the 23rd of december was what however bad last year was on the 16th 17th of march Mm -hmm. closing on the 23rd of december this year was worse again like we had done everything right, you know, and I suppose hospitality was be, was blamed for a lot. Look, that's a, for a different conversation, but like uh, it was the worst. It was my first Christmas off in 22 years. I should have been excited, but like there was nowhere to go. And I had a, an amazing time at home with my family. But I mean, I would have loved to go out to Stevenson's Day or I would have loved to go on somewhere on the 27th of December. But I mean, that, that wasn't to be. So I would actually agree with the government, go at the 2nd of June for their hotels indoor dining if that's the way it's going to be done for them that's fine i'm quite happy with that um 7th of june i'm quite happy and like i would hope or anticipate three to four weeks after that we get open and off we go and like there's no more closures so mm. i would prefer to wait it out and i you know you can see britain like i'm not quite sure a case is rising there or not but 
I, I'm quite happy the way we're just to let it run its course because another lockdown is the last thing we want. Yeah, it's going to it's going to have a massive effect. And before we, we delve into that and the, the effect it had on you know on on friends of yours and the whole hospitality sector, um, have you found it difficult to to get staff because you know the the general feel out there is that a lot of staff you know were, were waiting it out, but the fact that everything was locked down for so long, people are gone back maybe doing apprenticeships or whatever the case may be. Have you have you experienced um, that? No, in fairness, look, I have to uh, take my hat off to my staff. They've been absolutely brilliant. They've all come back to work. Not one person has said no. Obviously, one or two people, like you say, have gone to change their professions, which, look, that happens uh, by nature in a way. So you have to accept that. When you're in hospitality, people are going to progress to other careers. But um, no, all my staff. But like one thing which benefited us, we started um, doing takeaway coffees last, I'd say, May. Just obviously it was to kind of keep the staff, I suppose, on side keep the contact, keep the relationship going. And obviously when we reopened in the summer, it was like a natural progression. Then they were all still in touch. Everyone was still on WhatsApp. So we were still communicating. So we were back kind of three weeks before we opened up on the 29th of June. And like, again, we did similar. We, we continued with takeaways through every lockdown. And I think that has been a huge benefit by keeping people on site. And I suppose keeping the brand and the name out there as well, which is quite important and keeping a level of interaction with the customers. So, and I, I look, I think the staff, were appreciative of that as well so they're obviously delighted to have a job because there's lots of job losses everywhere and not alone hospitality so not to be playing to promote that hospitality like there's job losses everywhere but i think just that was important for me as well like just just to touch base with them see how they were and the fact that we were doing takeaways it was only from nine to three kind of four days a week during lockdown we during all lockdowns mm-hmm. but it just you know it, it stayed in contact and it just it kept that relationship going which that was my personal choice to do that. I know that there is other hospitality businesses that are are finding it difficult, but look, it's um, that's the world we are in. I'm afraid. Yeah, no, like it's it's. I suppose it's the big thing is the this you know is to keep your your staff number one on side in the hospitality sector, and it's that social interaction they need as well. And like you said, to keep the brand up there. Um, what has been the biggest challenge for you over the last? We're in May now. Um, the mass the last. You know, the last year and a bit. Obviously, we say the first lockdown was kind of right. This is an I wouldn't say a novelty, but it was you know it was the first occurrence. Yeah, um, I suppose like that, say that, that period. Like I'll never forget. Like I was at a meeting and, and uh, I'd say it was the fourteenth. It was the Thursday um, out in the the Brehen and it was with a couple of Fault Ireland uh, directives and news was coming through that Cork uh, Paddy's Day was called off parade. Dublin was gone then like phones were hopping and um, Friday then you know that, that was when the, kind of the first realisation saying that this is actually real this is actually coming on our doorstep because you know when you hear of these say I suppose natural disasters you know in Asia or you know in Malaysia or wherever it is you know we think that that's a different world yeah. and we don't expect ever expect it to be on our doorstep but all of a sudden when the first case happened I think it was that, the start of that week and you know there, there was there was cases were growing and growing and growing we're saying like, this is actually here this is on our door and to have St. Patrick's Day Parade cancelled in Dublin like that's the biggest that's our national you know that's our national holiday so that's when I think for me became a realisation so then obviously I, I had worked the weekend it was pretty much winding down mode but I had actually um, I had 55 Americans arriving in well sorry they were supposed to be arriving in on that Saturday night they were the New York police band so they were staying in different accommodations with us and like uh, I'll never forget it like that Saturday morning uh, Daniel the guy who was organising he was rang me like he was on the way to the airport he was, he was coming and I was saying like uh, there's nothing to come for right? the Killarney has stopped Paddy's Patrick's Day is over like and he's like we're coming we've, we've like this is the trip of a lifetime for us 
I was like, Daniel, there's nothing to come. Like, I think we're going to be locked down. I said, you can't be locked down in Ireland. How are you going to get home? But like, so that was just the realization that like the the financial loss for them, uh, you know, was going to be detrimental. So I was dealing with that. Then my own staff, obviously, look, we were, I suppose we had meetings um, all weekend. And look, we shut down Sunday night. Um, which was the 15th you know everything like town that Saturday night I remember it was eerie one or two publicans ran me around the place what are you doing and I'm like saying I don't know what are you doing and he was like yeah I think there's no one here I'm just going to shut you know so there was the the level of uncertainty because and I think that was the one thing that I I, I suppose I found difficult it was that say if something happens to your house you ring the builder or if something happens say the you know something breaks you've somebody to ring mm-hmm. or you can you know this is the one time in my life that I actually had no one to ring to say, what do I do? Where do I go? So, like, the Monday we were closed, the next thing, you know, I went down for kind of four or five days, and then the big announcement happened, I think it was on the 25th or 26th, yeah. and the whole thing was locked down, kids staying at home, everything, you know, done and dusted. So, like, those 10 days, I would probably safely say, business-wise, was the worst 10 days of my life. Um, like, I, had, I would have a good relationship with most people in hospitality, like, I would cast myself as a go-to guy for something you know and I had lots of guys ringing me like for the first time in my life I actually had no answer and uh, uh, I suppose the, the blase Irish attitude of look it'll be grand we'll be fine we'll get out we'll get out the other side I couldn't say that because I didn't know how we were going to get out the other side like obviously I was prepared um, the week before we did lots of stock in like but stock was probably the least of my worries it was just where do I go from here mm-hmm. you know I had five businesses closed in kind of 48 hours and 35 staff that I was answerable to paying their wages and their mortgages and trying to I suppose explain that to them that I actually don't have an answer for you and still trying to maintain some way of level of positivity and make sure that they got their wages for the first three weeks while we were closed then like that's when the reality happened like where do we go from here yeah. um, that for me was very very daunting and like I suppose I built up relationships with guys that I wouldn't have normally had relationships with guys were ringing me on a daily basis like we were doing I won't say a walk and talk but guys would ring me to say how are you today and I'd say just some bad note today how are you and it kind of became a daily routine like a friend of mine Jory was back the road and every day he'd ring me how are things today and I'd you know, I'd say oh today's a good day today's not bad yeah not bad we go for a walk you know there was there was that kind of a relationship um, but then I'd say from the when I knew that there was no going, there was going to be no reopening for a long time then I just like Siobhan my wife and she just said, you need to park it. You need to get on, get on with your life, spend time with the kids now for the next six, eight weeks. And that's what we did. I had probably the best six to eight weeks I ever had my family then. We were walking every day. There was mountains. Like we live out in the countryside out in Glifesk. Like there was places we never even discovered. There was hill walks that the kids, we said, we would never do. They have them all done. They went to see up the Paps Mountains, as you see, these beautiful mountains as you come into Kerry right up to about County Bones like we did that three or four times that the kids had picnics up in the lakes it was just but like the phone stopped as well which was one thing that like I couldn't get over that no phone calls like it was just downtime it was down tools there was no reason for it to be ringing mm-hmm. so but yeah look it, it was initially extremely hard but because like that the control was taken away normally I would have control of in my destiny not my destiny but you know everything you do within the business yeah. you know if somebody gets something wrong I can say yeah that's my fault but like oh you've done nothing wrong here and look there's no point to blame in the government like they were obviously acting very responsibly mm-hmm. and they were taking all the medical experts advice so they, like they did exactly what they should have been done but I suppose it was just the uncertainty 
and I suppose the, the communication, like where, where do we go? And it was the same for everyone in every business. Obviously, the medical professions excelled, and you know, other other businesses benefited greatly as well. But we just had nowhere to go, and like that was the one thing that I, I noticed that nobody had an answer. And like even the experts didn't have an answer, and I suppose that was kind of the eeriness of everything. It's changing on a daily basis. It was changing like, on a daily basis, like you were saying. Like we, were, we never watched the news so much. You'd watch it at one o'clock. You'd be on Twitter, you're on TV three news at half five. Then you say um, six o'clock, and then you think, "Oh, there's X amount of cases today." Like we were all experts all of a sudden, which was like we're, I was like saying, "Oh my God!" If, if anybody was looking at us, like. But eventually, I just stopped watching the news because I didn't need to because everyone had the news for me. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing as well. Like by habit, Irish people ask you any news, even though we've none of us have had news for the last fourteen months. That's the first question everyone asks you: any crack or any news? Mm. I was saying I have nothing. Can we, <laughs> can we just go to a football game or can we do something? So look, yeah, look, there was positives and there was negatives, obviously as well. But um, the positive was like that I, I had actually a, a fantastic downtime. I know fellas, people, I, I hear people doing interviews and. They were saying, should I be saying it or should I be allowed to say that I had a great time? I have no qualms saying it, that I had probably the best six weeks of my family at home. And we did nothing. It was mm -hmm. the first time in my life I've been working constantly for the last 22 years. It was the first time I did absolutely nothing. And like, what are you doing today? No, did we go for a walk or we were training? Um, so look, yeah, I, um, I won't say I enjoyed it, but look, we weren't going or we weren't spending any money. So it was, um, it was look, it was a learning curve. Definitely. And how did you find it after? Sorry, I went yeah. for inter interfering there. But how did you find it? Was it after those six months with the the novelty of all that spinning? Uh, that, don't get me wrong. No, don't get me wrong. No, spinning time with family and all that. Yeah. Like, this is an improvement. This isn't going to improve. How do you? Because oh, but you remind me of the type of person that you know would be on the go all the time. And like you said there, you you'd five different businesses, um, and like you know all those avenues were closed. Usually, you know. One business might fall, and another one keep going, but yeah. everything was closed. But I was supposed I was part committed. I was all hospitality based between mm -hmm. accommodation and um, food and drink and cafe. So look, I was I was part committed. Um, like that has to change as well. We can't, you know, that lifestyle. You have to pay your mortgage, so you have to go to back work back to work at some stage. Mm -hmm. Like I'm very realistic of that. That you know, somebody has to pay the bills. So like reopening, I was looking forward to it. Uh, and the 29th of June, it couldn't have come fast enough. Um, you know, but like we weren't getting the notification you know lots of guys were ringing me again and like i was saying i had great relationships like uh, a friend of mine like clem smith above in limerick would ring me every day like well, i've had some relationship with him since lockdown he still rings me every day now and i'm saying you don't have to ring me anymore lockdown is over you know but um i i knew we had to go back to work and i was looking forward to that as well and i think everyone was looking forward to it so when we opened up on the 29th of june i didn't expect it to go to the level it was going to go like people were saying that everyone's going to rush to the pubs and it was going to be all this it, it wasn't everyone was still cautious there was mm -hmm. still no huge influx of people like people weren't starved of alcohol and i think that's the one biggest thing is that has come out of this people have access to alcohol no matter what mm -hmm. so nobody was it, it was thirsty so there, there was never going to be any mass exodus but people what i found is that people just wanted to interact people just wanted to say hello how have you been where are you know and that's like we're creatures of habit that's what we want there's a reason we always ask each other how are we yeah. like you know that's 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 our in our human nature so that was the one thing that i couldn't get over and that people were look mad to tell stories of where they were and what they were doing and you know which was which was great but reopening, like, again, putting all the procedures in place, we, did, we never knew anything about it. Obviously, we were getting guidelines from the HSE and the government, but, like, 
what was right and what was wrong who who were we to to decide that like so just the implementation of it was look difficult I suppose we were trying to deal with all these new procedures and I suppose have a level of service that the customer was happy with mm-hmm. but um, yeah look and I suppose denying your meal and, and all that like you know is again not to divulge into that what was your feeling around that? I, I see what the government were trying to do, right? Yeah. But I just feel that they got it wrong. What they were, in my eyes, what they were trying to achieve is that they wanted everyone to sit down at a table, have table service and have food. They felt that the food was going to be a more relaxing atmosphere. But that wasn't the way it transpired. You know, they should have opened everything up because the places that could open up that were doing food, like they were, they did very well and they were favoured, which like the the pub, the traditional Irish pubs, the Spillance Bar in Hetford, that didn't open that only opened for 15 days last year and that business and i've no problem saying this that business and that community needed to be open more so than any business in urban area because that business is dependent on people coming in and out Mm -hmm. and people depend on interaction like i have three people who come to that pub before COVID at nine o'clock to watch the news and one of them doesn't drink he comes up and he's a ginger ale stays for an hour watch the news and comes up and meets who's there, you know. So it's not alcohol driven, but these people uh, missed something from their lives, and that was taken away from them. So I felt that the, the nine euro meal. Look, I think they got that one wrong. I think the, they should have. What they should have done is opened up everywhere, everyone, and say you need to sit down, and it needs to be table service, and it needs to be the social distancing. People would have done that because mm-hmm. people were just biting at the champ to get out. People wanted to get out. So and I felt that the, that term they use for the wet pubs like that I don't know where that came out of but uh, a pub is a pub in my eyes and a pub is like the bar person is one of the most important people in some people's lives so I, I just think that, that, that I got that one wrong and like I say the rural pub needed to be open in those challenging times more so than the urban pubs and the city centre pubs mm-hmm. so I just felt that like that that was that, that was a mistake and you know they, they were so we'll say for example if there was for take Killarney if there was 50 pubs in Killarney only 20 can open but Killarney still has the same level of population and influx of people so you're putting all the people that are in, coming into Killarney into those 20 premises so that's going <laughs> to spread the virus you know yeah. if you spread it out over, over those 50 premises it would be far easier mm-hmm. so I just felt like that, that was hard and then look we, I suppose we got caught because you know, you book slots, we didn't implement a new booking system, which we weren't ready for. And look, again, they were just uh, management um, or operational uh, challenges. But look, that we, we got there in the end. So, and what's, and what's the, what are the sound bites at the moment? Because I know, obviously, when this podcast will go out, it's, you know, you'll you have a clear indication. But what's the, the uh, definite... So, like, what they're thinking? saying, what they're telling us... Um, is obviously the league culture is is phenomenal in the, the Irish government, but they're telling us that there'll be no need for a requirement for food, which is good. It'll be outdoor dining and to have maybe 1.5 meter social distancing, which look is very acceptable. Yeah. So um, I don't think there's any talks of a time limit. So I'm not quite sure, but um, yeah, like the restrictions, the fact that it's outdoor as well. Like, and I think they're doing it right this way. They, like they put everyone indoor last year. I think doing it outdoor this year, I think it's going to benefit and it'll benefit the business as well because it's back open get a feel for what's happening get a feel how comfortable people are mm-hmm. that was one thing which i found last year as well that a lot of people didn't actually understand the requirements you know or the restrictions so they were coming in and they didn't know and there was you know it was um th- that was actually one of the most challenging uh, things about opening up last year people didn't actually understand the the, the guidelines mm-hmm. so and i think doing it this time around there'll be a little bit more understanding 
I've had some understood. You know, like we actually are a very law-abiding citizen. Citizen, you know, the Irish people. There's probably five percent who are going to break the law all the time, but those five percent are going to do it every day of the week. Yeah. So I just like going. My dad, there, my parents, there. They didn't go anywhere when they were told not to go anywhere for six, six or eight weeks from the lockdown. They didn't go outside the door, mm-hmm. only around their own house. You know, we're actually a very law-abiding citizen, even though some people might disagree with that. I think we actually, uh, and I think that even in Kerry, I think we were very, we've been very law-abiding and doing what we're told. And I think that's uh, why the cases are where they are. Yeah. You know, we, we're all doing what we're told. Thank, yeah, thankfully they're, they're um, you know, in Kerry, they're very low. Like, and I suppose, you know, they're obviously, <laughs> you alluded to their Irish government, they're very good at, at uh, you know, at these leaks. And they're kind, they're kind of saying maybe if things did get bad, it might be regional lockdowns or it might be county lockdowns. You know, going forward, if for example, you know, it's probably good that they're not going to paint the whole country with the one brush. Yeah, but look, I, I thought that was going to happen, but that probably should have happened because Cork, as well, for the population, has been exceptional. But like, they, they, if they were going to do that, I think they should have done it by now mm-hmm. because I think it's too late. But the other side for that then is like, how would you please that? Say, if Kerry's open and Cork isn't, everyone from Cork is going to come to Kerry. Yeah, <laughs> and like, I'm. 15 minutes from the border in Balavorni. If Balavorni's open, I'm going straight over that border. <laughs> you know, that's all. Uh, I, I do see the, the, the they're, they're theory in it, but I think the management of it, the policing of it, it would be impossible. You know, like West, like all of Limerick would be down in Killarney, you know, <laughs> yeah. or in Kerry. So I, I think, look, yeah, I, I do see that, but look, uh, there'll be a lot of people on, on trains down from Dublin down to Killarney, you know, if, if, we, were, if we were open and they weren't. Mm-hmm. So I just think that, I, I do see, think it could have been potentially a good idea, mm-hmm. but I mean, the influx in it of people would just, it, it would go against us. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, and I suppose, look, hopefully, you know, at that three to four week window after the 7th of, of June, you know, hopefully it'll give the opportunity then for these wet pubs to, to open up. Yeah. The fulcrum of every Irish rural community will be, you know, and they, that's what we need and I think they need, it, they need it more than anyone like and I, I see it there like there was one, one or two of my customers there who actually hadn't met somebody for three to four months like local farmers and they like they need to meet people like that, mm-hmm. like they, they need to go to the post office you know and they need to do all their jobs and they need to come to the pub like, and like I say it's not alcohol driven it's social it's like it's part of the community it's part of what we're about mm-hmm. you know like every great story starts in the pub and ends in the pub you know, no matter what, yeah, yeah. and adds legs in the pub, exactly. Well, <laughs> we know that, but look like again, like that's all part of it, and that's you know, that what makes it so good. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll obviously touch on the, the future, the bar industry, you know, later on the, in, the, in the podcast, but you know, let's bring it on to you know, you've been in the, the pub industry since the early noughties, I think the late 90s, you. You were uh, you were scrubbing pots in, in the Ross Hotel. I was, there, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose, like everything, uh, we were uh, we were sent off early to, to to go off and run a few bob for ourselves. So myself and Paul, my brother and John C, one of the lads, we were um, Patrick Tracy, gladly obliged. My parents would give us a job, and we were um, my first job was as a pot walloper, scraping scrambled egg off a pot with a paint scraper down the back of the side lane of the Ross. So, but uh, yeah, and and peeling carrots and potatoes. What did that teach you though? Because I think that's important because nowadays, um, you know, I know I, I'm obviously young, but I've been through some outrageous stuff that yeah. 
it really you know it grounds you and makes oh, you appreciate it does. where you're progressing then absolutely like a, a work ethic mm-hmm. like we used to cycle in as well so cycle I'd leave home at quarter nine in the morning cycle in you'd be working at ten Jeez. seven miles out the road like we were the royal the right country royal boys <laughs> so um, you come in yeah like it, it was it just taught me a, a work ethic that you know I, I think is probably missing from young people today and I, I see a lot of stuff on social media where their parents are going in looking asking for jobs or asking for you know oh my young fella's a job they're like I like I probably wouldn't employ that person I don't think there's any great greater sell than a young person coming in and saying hi my name is Patrick I'm 15 years of age I'd love to get a job for the summer mm-hmm. like like when mom and dad ring it's just it's um, it's it's a uh, you know, this child can't stand for himself. I have 18, 19 year olds parents ringing me, still looking for jobs. Mm-hmm. So, but like, Paul, like Patrick's answer, answer when my dad said to ask for a job up there, I go and contradict myself. But he'd send him in, send him in, we'll see if he's any good. So, like, I was told, don't mess this up. You have a job here for, you know, for the yeah. summer. So, like, and I did, I did my, my, my there, and I obviously, look, I, I stepped up. I, I was, um, um, Porter, I was kitchen porter initially. Then we did lobby porter, logging in bags, mm-hmm. and then worked in the Clarny Park as a day porter. And I suppose then learned my trade in in the bar. I worked in um, Charlie Foley's and in the Royal Hotel. Um, so look, yeah, like in the Tatler then as well. Tatler was a very good learning experience, both life and um, I suppose <laughs> education. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely. Uh, an education was probably the best word to put it. I probably better leave it at that. But it was, um, yeah. So, but no, that's um, like, and we used to cycle home then, like, so you'd finish at half nine, you'd cycle home with lights on, Jesus. you know, like, it's just, it was, um, yeah, look, it was a long day, you'd do split shift, you might do 10 to half three, and maybe back in then, half five to half nine, 10 o'clock, and, uh, you know, my mum or dad was coming to collect us then, um, you'd know you'd be after doing a day's work, like, we used to maybe play around the pitch and put in in between when you were, um, or else you'd have a, an under 16 or so, under 17 game then, so, but yeah, it was good, and I would, would I change it? Not at all, it was the best job would not sorry not the best job I ever did but it was the best learning curve I ever did mm-hmm. so I, I know no I have respect for anyone that works in a kitchen and I think it was a learning curve for me as well for from different businesses that I got involved in I knew I was entailed in the back of house side of things as well mm-hmm. so no I was um yeah um, I had a couple of jobs uh, you probably had three or four jobs going time you do kitchen porter in the morning and you do bartending at night so but look that's the way it was in Killarney mm-hmm. when you were growing up like if you wanted a job you had to work in hospitality yeah. and that was it and like that's the way it's always going to be yeah. like you know that's what's in Killarney mm-hmm. you know you're working with the hotels or you're working with the restaurants you're working in the cafe and, and that's it you, you sign yourself to anti-social uh, hours and that's it mm-hmm. and that's the way to go and we're lucky we're very lucky if you ask me like there's certain towns in Ireland that have nothing mm-hmm. so like anybody says I oh, have to work till 12 o'clock at night I'd be absolutely delighted to be working till 12 o'clock at night there's that social aspect as well you know you're all mean people, you mean people. You're, you know you're growing and developing because you know, you see a lot of um, like how how have you seen the, the employee develop over your time since 1997 Obviously, you were you were that employee before. Then you would become yeah. an employer. How do you see the type of person you know um, develop? Obviously, the the work ethic is probably decreased. I think the work ethic is yeah. Like I, I, I suppose I, I shouldn't be saying. I just think the work ethic has, I suppose, in people, and I suppose there has I won't say gone back, but I just feel the appetite for it. Like when I was that age, like you worked and that was it. And you know it was it was a hard slog. There was no questions asked. No, you have to ask somebody to do a job, and they, you know you're second guessing are they going to do it. You nearly have to check up on it. You don't have the initiative. Like yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's just maybe the way society has gone as well. Though mm. I can't just say that that's down to personal uh, individuals. 
I think that's why society's gone. Like before, there was no distraction. I like I never had a phone at yeah, work. Yeah, phones. What do you find? How, do you do you find? You know, obviously you don't want to pick up your own your own spot now. But yeah, you, I did. You know, within the hospitality sector, do you find phones a bit of an issue with? Ah, oh, they are because uh, people are instantly contactable. Like before, if I was working late or we were busy, I couldn't contact anyone. I'd have to go out to reception to ring home to say I won't be ready for another hour. No, you just send a WhatsApp or whatever, you know, you're instantly... Snapchat. Yeah, <laughs> click me at 11, you know. Yeah. And which, look, is great for a certain thing, but I mean, it's probably bad for a way as well. Like, is anybody, you know, if you wanted to find out something, I was asking one of the lads a question today. He said, I don't know, you rang me back to six zero. I Googled that there. But, you know, I was like saying, Jesus, you know, it's kind of taken away from the interaction, the phone side of thing, and um, phones at work, look, they, they annoy me, there's nothing more frustrating, I think, when a customer comes into a premises and there's a uh, an employee behind the counter with their phone out and they're playing with it, like, it's so, oh, look, it's it's so off-putting, first of all, and it's just, you know, it means that, that it, it looks like that person doesn't want to be there. Yeah. So I just think phones should be banned from hospitality, but look, we need them then for social media, so, like, you know... We're, we're, there's we're, a fine line, though. Like, there is, know. like, yeah, there is, and... Um, but uh, look, some people's work is exceptional, mm-hmm. but those people will excel, and those people will have that, and a lot of that comes from home as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like we were sent off packing, and there was no no two ways about it. Yeah. And if we were, you know, if we weren't, we, we there was something else. There was other jobs. We were going to the bar, putting tough, or we were going picking potatoes. <laughs> so there was it was either do the jobs you get paid for in town, or do the job at home that you won't get paid for. And that would teach you. A lot of things, foot and turf. And, yeah, and, and absolutely. And like, yeah. And getting sunburned, foot and turf was probably another education. But look, <laughs> yeah. But that, that, like, we're going, talking about the bog, that's where we learned how to drive. When we were 12, 13 years of age, that's where we learned how to drive a tractor. And that's probably where we learned how to work then as well. So, yeah. I mean. But that work ethic was probably instilled uh, yeah. at that age because mm-hmm. we've seen your parents doing it. Absolutely. And like, we had no choice in the matter then. Like, I remember coming home from school, like, I obviously would avoid homework, like the plague. But so uh, I had two hours of jobs to do when I come home. I'd have to go over, give my nana her dinner. Then I'd get on my um, chopper Harley bike, cycle over. I'd collect the shopping then for my neighbour, Sybil. I'd go over to Hannah Donovan, collect her shopping for her, or collect a, mes- a message off her, go over to the shop, give them their messages on the way home, and go back to my nana then and give her her messages. It'd be five o'clock then. I'd still have no homework done, but I'd be quite happy with my two hours day's work. You must have been one of the fittest lads on the Geek Flesh team. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought I was. There was other guys who would probably uh, have a different opinion than that. Like so, But yeah, what I loved, again, and I loved that. And then, like say, I used to get 50p, I'll never forget it. Like, Sybil Lewis could be 50p, the 50, 50p, the old yeah. 50 piece. Like, yeah, Jeez. I was like, and then I don't even just give me 50p some weeks. Like, if I was very good after shopping, if there was a lot of shopping. But um, yeah, like again, it was a great education. But um, but that's like, that's what we do it. And I, I I think growing up, I suppose the countryside gave us that um, bit of crack as well. You know, that bit of development. Like I could have gone away for three hours, which was great. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, no, I know, I know what you mean. It's it's um, you know, it's great grounding, great education. I suppose it's something you really don't really appreciate until you get older. Oh, not until you know? no, like yeah, fellas, would you ask me? Would you would you go back to it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, bar the school part, like obviously, but <laughs> yeah. you know, but yeah, but um, and they're great stories as well. You know. And we'll um, just, I suppose, on your, we, we touched on the employee aspect of it, you know, how the employee would have developed since you, you kind of started out. How has the traditional Irish pub changed, you know, since the 19, you know, early 90s to, to nowadays? Uh, in your opinion? See, again, it's all society-based, you know. Yeah, see, sure. uh, like the, the traditional Irish pub, uh, it was always dependent on the, com- on the, the community. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of the... The, the community has actually gone to the bigger cities or gone to Dublin or gone to, you know, Cork or Galway. So its population is probably affecting the traditional Irish pub. Like we still like 
when I was go when I was growing up, I wanted to go to nightclubs. You know, I wouldn't yeah. dream of going to a traditional Irish pub. No, it'd be the opposite. I'll never ever again go to a nightclub. But I'd be <laughs> yeah. the first person sitting down inside in the pub with a seventy-year-old man and having three drinks. That's where I want yeah. to be. That's <laughs> my dream. Three points with somebody in their seventies yeah. talking about life. That's where I want to be. But how, how has it changed? Um, I suppose like a lot of the pubs, um, there's less population in them. Mm-hmm. People have moved away. Um, and is that culture, I won't say dying, um, but, or has it been taken away from us? It, it's very hard to, it's, to kind it's of... It's interesting, maybe it's, yeah. maybe it's been taken away, but I suppose just something that came to mind there was um, possibly that could be doing a U-turn now, the fact that, you know, a lot of people are moving home, because I know obviously in the in financial services industry, you know, we're probably going to be three days in the office and two days at home, you know, so uh, a lot of people will be able to live in, in, in rural areas, so that could be... I would hope so, and, and I, would, I would hope the government would... Again, this isn't the platform for it, but I would hope the government would never encourage. Know. You never know. Like we can start a campaign <laughs> yeah. here, but I would hope that they would do it because, like living in the countryside for me, like I, I wouldn't live anywhere else. No, I know. Obviously, we're very biased here, mm-hmm. but like it's been, uh, I, I would say I've had a brilliant lifestyle so far, and um, but I think the government should encourage that, and I think they should try to grow the pub. Mm-hmm. Like what I see, what I see. Uh, with some local pubs at the moment a lot of them don't open up till four or five yeah and it's because it's obviously that's a financially driven um decision as well because it's not i suppose viable for them mm-hmm. and that's the way society has changed as well but i would love to see a pub open at 12 o'clock in a day and three or four people in there having a few beers and in front of the fire by winter time but i don't think that's actually there and i don't think people are there for it mm-hmm. so i would love to have spillands open seven days a week from half ten in the morning till half ten eleven o'clock at night and people in there all day, every day. But that's not, it's just not there. Yeah, so, and, yeah, and but people are, are, are busy with their lives as well. They've become far more structured mm-hmm. and more organised. Like, I know nearly what I'm doing next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. Like, I know there's under six training Monday night. I know that you like to go football training Tuesday night. You know, we're, we're, there's, there's probably more happening in people's lives. Mm-hmm. So I just, I think that's, that's just a society thing. But I would love if a lot of people moved out of the cities into rural Ireland like and like people give out about the Healy Rays and you know that they're all on about carrying the rule and it's like but they're actually right we need to get people back into the you know yeah. in the, and uh, working from home now is going to probably be the best thing that ever happened to rural Ireland yeah. you know like you'd have people moving from the cities down and like the quality of life in the countryside is phenomenal 100% all yeah. the community above I won't get going here now yeah like, Dublin like yeah 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 the dark and you're in like sardines like, oh. but it's like it's uh, probably produ- more productive with your job as well because you're probably an hour and a half going to work in Dublin mm-hmm. and an hour and a half coming home whereas that if you can do your job three days a week you're probably far more productive 100% you know so if you can condense your working week into we'll call it 35 hours and do it over four days working from home I, like I think you're far more productive that was one thing that a couple of my friends has told me they were actually when they were working from home they were actually half paranoid that their bosses would think they weren't doing enough so they actually ended up doing more yeah. And then there was obviously another extreme where some guys said, I'll get away with this as much <laughs> yeah. as I can. But unfortunately for hospitality, we can't work from home because we want to meet people. But um, I think um, people will become more productive mm-hmm. because, you know, you, you get your work done, then you can go away for the evening and enjoy your evening. So mm-hmm. that, look, that's where I see it going. Hopefully we will, yeah, definitely. Yeah. We'll, we'll delve into that before we, we close up the, the podcast, um, you know, about the future of the, the hospitality and, and tourism industry, really, I suppose, in Kerry and in Ireland, in, in your opinion. But we'll, we'll delve on to, you know, a big thing is, you know, you always get, and I always hear that um, it's it's very expensive to holiday in Ireland, in, in Ireland whatever about Ireland, but in Kerry. 
Yeah. What's your opinion? Like, I see that. I looked at that actually last week. Um, and like, if you look at these things that the, say, the national media grab onto, like, I think it was something like, uh, I, I don't four know. Four grand, wasn't it? For some four room, grand, yeah. yeah. But like, what, what the people don't actually realize is that's for a five star hotel. Like, you travel the world, right? And you go to the best hotels in, you go to a three, four star, five star in Spain or Portugal. They're not a patch on the hotels that we have here or the rooms we have or the level of service we have. Okay, so people will say, no, 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 that, that's wrong, that's wrong. I'm telling you, you go to, we go to Spain or Portugal, we stay in a four or five star hotel. They're not a patch in any four or five star hotel that you'll find in Ireland or obviously in Kerry. Like in Killarney, we're very, very lucky. We're the only place, county or town outside of Dublin that has five five stars within the town. Oh, so, geez. I mean, and there's a reason for that. And the five stars are very, very successful. And obviously they do an exceptional job mm-hmm. of what they do. But there, there's an attractive market there for that as well. So people keep coming back to them. So I saw that um, last week. And, you know, another hotel in Killarney came in for quite negative um, feedback last year as well on that. But that was one booking site, you know, that and it was only an, uh, an example. It was only a quote, you know, but I mean, and it was for a week. In, they booked two rooms as well. Like two rooms, like, yeah, or something you like know, that, yeah. and, and I love all that negativity, but... I mean, why don't they put up um, a three-star price, whatever the price of a three-star is. You know, they put four-star up and or five-star up for four nights and it was in peak season. You know, nobody's asking them to pay that. Okay. So, you know, I mean, there's a market there for everyone. If somebody else wants to stay in a five-star hotel, off, there's no problem whatsoever. Book a self-catering or book a holiday home or book something else or stay in a three-star. You know, I, I think... That's my opinion, but I, I just love the way the media grasp onto certain things, whatever they want to, they pick and choose, you know. But uh, no, in, to answer your question, sorry, I got sidetracked there. I got a little bit, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. I got a bit taken away there. I got excited there. I just wanted to get my point across there. Come to Kerry, stay for a week. But um, they're getting like, value. They're, they're getting, getting value. I think, I think so. Like, I mean, like you can't pray for the natural resources we have, mm-hmm. but you know, nobody's asking asking him to come, even though we welcome everyone with open arms. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason. Like Killarney is renowned for it. it's American market. There's a reason the the Americans love coming here. Like, and once they come, they're always like they're parting statement. And I deal with a lot of Americans. We'll be back next year. And they're booking like they're, they're booking it. They're literally booking straight away as they're leaving. Yeah. And you're saying like if they had such a bad experience, or if it was overpriced, or if it was the service was so bad and the food was so bad, why are they coming back? You and know, people and, won't be traveling from yeah, America like, to come here. Like, like yeah. in my opinion, I think we work very hard at it here in Killarney, mm-hmm. and I think look, that's the reason it's busy. Like obviously, people can say look, oh, Killarney gets everything, but we work hard at it. Mm-hmm. You know, and. You know, it's it's a, it's a success story in my eyes, but like um, like we were saying, it's it's in, instilled in us. We've no other like the other thing is we're dependent on it as well. So we've no other, I suppose, the economic income here. We don't have the big like apples or Googles or anything. It would be great if we had. Mm-hmm. Like Killarney actually is a very small town population wise, and that was one thing which I actually discovered about lockdown, not to go back into it. There was only I think there's only fifteen to sixteen thousand people in Killarney, mm-hmm. but on any given day in Killarney during the summer, you could have forty thousand people passing through. Whoa. So like that's like we're, like you've three times your um, population in, in any given day mm-hmm. in Killarney. So I mean, um, we are dependent on it, and that's why we work on it. So that's why there's like there's so many hotels, there's so many bars and restaurants. So look, um, is it expensive? I suppose you pay for the product you're going to get. Exactly, exactly. And I I think it's very important that we, you know, I, I like doing this with, with guests is to, to delve into, you know, what what life experiences has brought the person to where they are today. And we spoke about, you know, your your um, your experience, you know, in, in the Ross Hotel in yeah. 97. But what about growing up in Glenflesk? 
Um, I believe the GA was a massive part of your life. Oh, I it believe is, yeah. your your father was at the gates of uh, oh, yeah. the Stadium. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I keep going on really. No, you know? no, you're okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't make any money off the gates anyway. Just to clarify, just to confirm that, anyway, we made no money whatsoever off those gates. Everything was done legitimately. Ah, uh, yeah. No, no. Of course, like everything growing up. Um, I see there my young friend now Frankie he's five like and he's playing under sixes we didn't start playing football till we were under eight or under nine mm. and it was um, I suppose we weren't that late developers but it's just uh, that wasn't there for us so but I uh, look of course like everything again it, it was like the traditional Irish pub the GEA is instilled in you like your first game you're just sent over and off you, off you go and look we with great times like I remember like my first like I'd was, I say I was 13, 14 like in Nate Spillan he was over the junior team like so obviously the, or the B team whatever you want to call it like and they were short one Sunday morning and he called to the house like uh, at half eleven like saying Irene the lads here like and Paul was playing soccer Kiran was I don't know where he was but uh, she, the, she said no no Ali's too young he can't play at all and dad was there like and my mother said, no, no, he's too young, he'll only get interested. I was fine anyway. My father came out the back there. I said, hi, come on, into the car. <laughs> Grab your boots on the over anywhere. Like, we were playing, like, I say, I was just 14, over to play a game. We were playing Guinea Gwilla. Like, Guinea Gwilla would be, like, tough enough. No, like, so, I'll never forget, I was marking John Cronin. and I say, he was 30 years of age. Like, you just saw this little streak of a young fella coming in. And he was saying, like, so I just ran around the place. Like, so the jersey was, like, addressing me. Like, so that was my first, I suppose, senior senior experience. Like, but, um, yeah, look, we, we were underage with Kilfesk. We, we weren't as successful because, look, very limited for numbers. We were, I suppose, always struggling for numbers, which was, look, it's the same in every rural club. Like, you, you know, you see Donna South Kerry, you see the North Kerry. Like, we always said 17, 18. Like, and if there was somebody missing or if somebody, it was a nightmare. Under 16s was a nightmare because guys were just starting to work. And like myself. <laughs> so if they got a summer job, right, and then they're going in, they're after getting a summer job on the 10th of June and we were playing under 16s on the 12th of June on a Friday night. You have to get two hours off. You, you can't ask for time off. <laughs> Night, nightmare stuff. Yeah. But um, I know it looked it was great. So you just uh, you to you to work, play and work that bit harder, which was good. So look, yeah. And it, it's um, a few things I want to delve into because I think it's very important. But I remember obviously I remember obviously Seamus Wining growing up, unbelievable footballer. But I remember watching him against Dingle. Jeez, when he was there, he was retired from county at that stage, but an unbelievable operator led by example on the pitch um, you know might be run up and down the pitch but coordinated everything can you give your, your insight into what he was like and Johnny Crowley as well was an exception uh, like, what were they like to, to, to the club and to have inside the dressing room people have absolutely no idea how good Seamus is I don't think anyone and Crowley in the same breath like what they have did for us, like it was, it was just a pleasure. They made our life so easy playing with them anyway. Like we did all the running off the ball, but no, like inside in the dressing room, there was just an awe of like brilliance around the two of them anyway. Um, but Shane was just constantly. I remember our first game, like Shane was like, "You'll be under me. You do, you know, do I'll go each other, you know, just completely, not really talking to me for the whole game." Like and he handled every single ball, everything went through him, but not alone on the field, but off the field, like anything you wanted, help you with everything, you know. They were just absolutely brilliant but like uh, like James is hilarious like he'd be catch his own kick out he'd catch his own breaks and he'd be kicking the ball in <laughs> he'd never kick the ball in and going to catch it himself like but um, Crowley didn't on the other side like I don't think he, he ever got the recognition that he got inter-county than he did, did with us he was the only player like I played senior football for whatever eight or ten years he was the only player in the county that we ever played that was double marked in every single game we played Jesus. like he was just so strong 
and like he was like an out and out forward like every game like you look at Marcus Fitzgerald like you look at all these other guys there was always just one guy marking them mm-hmm. Crowley was double marked every single game we played like he was so strong like he actually made a hero out of a free taker like breaks my heart to break it Paul like Paul just get 8 or 10 frees every game Crowley was playing because Crowley was forward could, people couldn't handle him he was and he was so strong like that was one thing like and I remember like in 2000 when he got the great run in uh, or 2001 when he got the great run and they got the goals above in Tipperary like oh, yeah. the, nobody was as delighted as the whole of the fest girls that Crowley was after exploding onto the scene we were just absolutely over because he was brilliant like he was brilliant for us but um, like I suppose where people from outside of I suppose East Kerry and I suppose the county was is when we kind of kicked on with the Millennium Cup mm-hmm. that was just like so I suppose to explain what the Millennium Cup was um, was in 2000 mm-hmm. the county board decided to come up with um, a, a, like an FA Cup there was 72 club teams in Kerry and they put them all into one pot so Navis and Junior were in the first round Everyone else came into the second, or intermediate teams came into the second round, and then whatever was left out of the intermediate and senior teams came into the third round. So we came into the second round. So we were like we were Division Two intermediate team. Um, were we strong intermediate team? We probably weren't, but like James and John were going very, very well with Kerry at the time. So um, I remember we, our first game was down in down in Derry Nan, like um, just on Crowley. He got ten possessions that day. He got two eight. <laughs> like so just I mean like blown away and but like that was I'd say that was our first game second game then we were home um, in Bally Longford um, just barely got over the line just real you know real belting game but then like we kind of felt we were onto something good so I, I'll never forget it like, probably the wettest game I've ever played against Corns Rallies it was moved from their own pitch to the Caris Lee pitch and there was no sideline no nothing like it was oh, level like it was I'd say it was about seven minutes injury time paid um, uh, Paul I don't know like they, they, pretty much a carbon copy of what Morris Fitzgerald did in um, 2001 in um, in Turles like uh, he had to come out of the crowd to kick it over the bar like unbelievable against the wind oh, should we were mental <laughs> we thought we were after the all Ireland we were bonkers into the semi-final like we played Cora above in the Dr. Croke's pitch, Dr. Croke's pitch was new at the time. And uh, you were young, you were only 16 this day. Oh, I was stage. just 17 coming onto the team, like trying to get onto the team was probably one of the most hardest things because Glefesk had a lovely structure, they had a lovely, I won't say old or no, but they had a lovely settled team, you know, you'd, Michal Dunham was full back here, Sullivan was centre back, Seamus and Dermot were midfield, David Dunham was under 40, and Crowley was inside, full forward, they'd Pat Dunn, they other guys, you know, they had a really settled team. So we were trying to break on to the team, like I said, there was, there was about four or five of us, maybe six of us coming onto the team, it was Paul and my brother, uh, myself, like John O'Donoghue, Eric Dunham, Shane Dennehy, Damien McCarthy, Jerry Kennedy, we were all trying to come on to it, like it was impossible to break on to it. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I suppose how I tried to make the breakthrough is that we were training I suppose about two weeks before my first come to league game and I said I need to do something drastic here to make myself known because we were all only pattering along and so I look I just I hit one of the older lads late high just to cause a bit of eruptions and it was holy war like the got up beat the shit out of me and, but it's, it started something and then the guy just kind of looked at me then and saying this guy maybe I have something different so then the next week I said I better do something again just to kind of keep things going I did something similar to another player and again holy war but the next week then I got my first start then of 17 and we were playing county league against Milltown River and that was kind of the start of it so that was my first season so moral the story start a few fights start a few fights like, but that's you know like you have to do something to you know to, to get in and I, like that that's I suppose 
it helped me get noticed anyway. It was my first mm-hmm. thing, and like the lads picked me because they had a really nice settled team. In fairness, and there was guys who were there, I suppose, a lot longer than me, and I suppose they were taking a chance. And Paul, I think it was Paul, my brother's first year as well. Paul had probably the worst job ever. Every team we were playing, Paul was marking their first player. So we played Crocs, Paul, Park Gooch. We played Lone Rangers, Paul, Michael Francis Russell, <laughs> Paul. Like, we, it was just absolutely hilarious. Like, but um, we got into, yeah, but um, like the crack was hilarious. Like, the, the boys used to take the piss out of him, like saying, oh, who we marked today? But he scored 10 points. Like, but Paul would probably still be best, our best player. <laughs> but like, yeah, I know the crack was good. But well, that campaign, like, didn't, didn't Ollie, you know, we'll say, you know, I, you, you say there, Strand Road in the semi, but I believe you had, um, you know, you had a very, Yet you probably came came up against one of the best great teams they've had in, in you know for many many years. Oh and yeah, that was in the say, uh, Strand Road were the quarter final. Uh, Cora, who had a phenomenal team as well, they had like all the Dennehys, you know, uh, the, the Scanlans, uh, Seamus Scanlan, Kieran Scanlan. They'd bring their morning goals. They went, they went extra time. That was probably our I won't say our hardest game now, but they went extra time above in the Crokes field. And then the gate took. Oh, the gate took. Like we actually, strangely enough, we actually didn't. Fear the gale took because I'd say we weren't even just to be delighted to be there. Seamus and John had us just mentally prepared that we were absolutely equally as good as these guys, no problem whatsoever. So, how like, did he do that though? Like, because you know, just trying try to you know create that image that you know, yeah. like that team was, he just was full with oh, yeah, I think they'd seven playing into county at that time, you know, between the, the four O'Shea's and Revolver Kerry at that time. You know, and you'd, I suppose, the two McGarrets, you had the two McGarrets, and you know, Colonel O'Crelliuk was just coming out to the team. Um, he just backed you like he just it's amazing like Shane, he's just talking to you like he's telling you where to go like and Crowley you know these guys are talking to you all the time and it's one thing actually I think is missing from football at the moment is the lack of communication to guys Seamus say stay down you know go right go left come around you know just constantly talking to you so not alone was he performing his own game they were talking to us as well would you be roaring or would you be not at all just nicely 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 I was just Brilliant! What a like, what a pleasure to play with. Like, sure, we were, we were more decoy runners than anything half the time. But look, uh, I look phenomenal experience. Like, in he had his own battles. Like, he was there, sure every game he was playing, he was getting popped, and like so, and trying to give the perfect ball into Crowley. Then it was just like, yeah, but he just backed ourselves. Like, I was marking JJ Cardock that day. Like, he just said, "That's you. That's it. That's it." Like Paul is saying, you were marking you know McGarrett. That's your job for the whole day, you know. And that's it. You were just given a job, and I suppose it was instilled. Don't don't leave it down. Don't don't leave yourself down. Don't leave the team down because we've done so much getting here. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that was the biggest thing. That was the fe- I suppose for one thing, me that was the fear. Don't let the lads down. Like you know, and I suppose when you have that level of fear, you'll you'll nearly do anything. Mm-hmm. Like I remember above and we we when we kicked on, we won the we won the county. We were playing Mile Rovers in in two weeks time. Like we had never gone outside the county, like ever. I suppose we probably played Balavoni in a challenge game. That was as far as we went, and that was in the. the um, I, that was in the or the Munster semi-final but I suppose the big talk there was a lot of media attraction then because they couldn't understand how a Division 2 team intermediate is actually representing Kerry so there was a little bit of trouble at the time because I don't know who won the club championship I'm not quite sure or, um, but they were the saying was yeah they were saying could, could we have why should we be progressing but anyway look we did anyway and like going up to my Rovers like was, see we, we never got a bus that game <laughs> we were like the ultimate <laughs> Uh, I don't know what you call us, rednecks or whatever. We never got a bus game. We never had a pre-match meal 
this is how I won't say backward like but this was the excitement like we were all on the bus down the back of the bus as well no fell up the front of the bus it was like a school tour we we got up in Cashel and we, we, we had a pre-match meal and everything like that like you know in hotels it was the first time any team ever ate all their food but uh, yeah but no we arrived but like again another thing that just I, I always remember it the support we got from the say these Kerry teams that time like uh, my role was very similar to our pitch. Like the you were on the like the supporters were pretty much on the stay on the on the pitch. But like I remember getting off the bus that day, we did a warm up in some other field. But above in Art Finnan, like Dan DeWire from Kilcommon was the first guy to welcome to us off the bus. Like you know, say best of luck, lads, and just you know, you was looking around as we're going into the dressing room. There's guys from Morgan and Aquila, and I was saying, that's unbelievable. Like you know, so again, you didn't want to disappoint these guys. And then we're we're just in the dressing room. It was just this calming influence that like we're here to do a job absolutely and we didn't know much about these guys either mm-hmm. so like I'll never forget it I played probably the best 30 minutes of my life for the first half I kicked two points coming back and just the boys were roaring and roaring and roaring at me and I was at tears I was in tears at half time inside in the dressing room because I was saying how I'm after breaking my balls for 30 minutes after playing the best football I've ever played how like what's gone wrong it was just a realisation sunk in to everyone that we actually can get over the line here we were up four points. Declan Brown hadn't paid. He was coming on to the second half. Oh yeah, yeah. He was he, he's back at him. But like everyone, it was all for the benefit of the team. But everyone actually realised just in we can actually do this. We can actually kick on, and like which we did. Like Declan Brown came on in in the second half. I think he got two or three quick points. But we settled on again and look, we um we kicked on. There was a bit of controversy as well. Some fella jumped the wire and. It was um, it was like a movie, but look, it was um, yeah, look, we was kicked. That for, uh, local, was it was local, yeah. Look, like, do you know what actually happened? Some fella hit Seamus late, and man jumped in the fire to back up Seamus. <laughs> we can't say his name now for publication. Uh, yeah. GDPR is it? Yeah, yeah, GDPR. Yeah, GDPR. we didn't think there was GDPR back then, but uh, I know it was hilarious. Like, and um, oh, the crack. Like, obviously, look. The session, of course, as well. Like, oh, I mean, yeah, what was this? What was the celebration like when you won Kerry? You know, when you beat, you know, I'd imagine that was probably your your. Oh, that was just the pinnacle. Like, yeah, yeah. we haven't won anything since. It's the problem. Some fellas are still drinking, but <laughs> like, it's I was it was unbelievable. So we still like didn't realize what we'd achieved, and like it's not until like you step away from it. Like, obviously, look, the night was great with bonfires, with whatever we drank till whatever the hour of the morning and. It was the first time ever fellas were running with to do the schools the next day, like and you know, oh, pure we had to go around to the yeah. five schools, like it was the first Rain time Rain heads, <laughs> but it was the first time every fella was absolutely bursting to go to the schools because sure we knew we never had to be we never been around, we never won anything, like, you know, and so like it was my first year being on starting as well. So I was like, This is dream stuff. So, you know, I thought it was gonna win twenty counties then after that, which never happens. But yeah, look, it, I was unbelievable. But I mean, we knew we were out the following week, like so training the following Tuesday or maybe we went on the Wednesday we're gonna, maybe we could have got a second day out of, out of it but um, every fella showed up like in, it was you train it's it fellas just started doing laps just to get the badness out of you the sweat out of you and just you know there was that you know there was there was that kind of drive with the guys that were there as well you know you used to do a job and you, you kind of didn't want to disappoint the guys you were playing with these guys had sold for 12 or 15 years hadn't probably they wouldn't have done a cup in 88 you know so and we hadn't really achieved much so, so like that was I think the biggest thing you're asking me about what was, you know, what was the driving force like for me anyway, and I know the younger lads as well. You didn't want to let the guys down, so we were training the Wednesday night like and just ran ourselves into the ground, and we did something similar on the, the 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 following night, but like 
going into we're going playing Nemo in the in the Munster final, and I think you know what, I won't say the occasion got us, but I think the setup was all wrong. Like we didn't we didn't train after my Rovers, obviously we had a couple of good days as well, but we didn't we didn't prepare ourselves properly, and I just it, it felt wrong. Like on the Tuesday night, it was a media night, you know, and there was the training didn't go happen apparently the plan. Not through anyone's fault, but we mm. weren't, you know, and then the Thursday night then we just kinda kicked around. We didn't train as hard as we probably should have, but see we were in the Munster final, maybe we were probably at a level of fitness that we thought we didn't need to you know, and just I suppose I remember arriving above in the Gaelic grounds in Limerick, you know, we, we stopped in Kilmallet for or no, we went to the the woodlands for food and you know it was just it was all very very structured and it wasn't what we did with my rovers. Yeah. You know, we were all for this we were all in our seats in the bus. And it just, you know, it felt, looking back, it felt wrong. And, you know, the, the, the crack element wasn't there and it was fine because we were nervous as well. Mm-hmm. None, again, none of us had been, like James and John, this was like second nature. But we, none of us had been out of, out of the county. But it, um, yeah, look, and then, look, Michal Murtick came into the dressing room before and, like, and we were in awe oh, this guy. He was talking to us and he, was, he knew a couple of guys' names and we were like, he knows our names, <laughs> you know. And he was talking, we were like saying, uh, you know, hear this guy's voice on the radio, you know. That kind of thing. Then we were out. We were like, we were told we were Man United. We were out trying the grass up in the air, seeing which way the wind was blowing. We didn't have a clue. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Those fellas call us in the stand. Like, we were waving. You know, just it was just uh, look. If we could bring him down to Kilfesco, if we could take him up somewhere else, I think we would have beaten him that way. But I just think the whole setup like was wrong for us, and it just like it wasn't. We were prepared. Like we were ultra prepared. Just I just look. Yeah, it didn't work out and. Uh, you know, we still had an opportunity before half time. We still could have been there. We could have, could have got a goal before half time. That would have taken a point up. It just, it just didn't work. It just didn't happen for us. You were strong as well. Oh, they were strong. Time, you know, yeah. they were they had a phenomenal team like Stephen O'Brien and the Colin Corkery. Like they had a couple of good guys coming out like Niblock, Sean O'Brien, and you know. But uh, they took Kevinus. They had three Kevinus playing. Larry, Larry was cornerback. Uh, uh, they Derek, Derek was coming out. Derek was there wing forward, and they had Joe, Joe in the corner. Like Nick, no, Joe uh, Kevin was in the corner then as well. Like so. Just they just were too strong. Like they were just cruising, you know. We just couldn't couldn't get into it. Uh, but look, I suppose you know, looking back, obviously you, you were you were down and all that. But it's a, a magnificent experience, and, I, and from what I believe, you kind of you know you had a couple of dominating years in East Kerry. Like he, oh, we you, did. Yeah, you, you beat Crooks on a number of occasions. Two, yeah, were, two or three of the new cups. Like yeah, but Crooks were always the team to beat Crooks. For me, they're the best team, club team in Kerry. Mm-hmm. And look, they're probably in the top four in the country. So they were always the pinnacle and like we were always learning from them. We had a very good relationship with the Crokes lads. And we still do. Um, but that's because like, they were actually, they were so gracious in defeat. And like they, they were like d- delighted to have a few beers with us after as well. And I think that relationship is still there. And uh, look, I think Seamus and John brought that as well. Mm-hmm. Any club we played, there was always a level of respect for us. And I, I look, I, I suppose, and the fact that James and John, what James and John were bringing to the table, but like, yeah, no, we did, we did kick on a, a little bit, and I suppose the younger guys came on. Then there was four or five of us who, who kind of ex- excelled out of that. Then, like, we won two or three other who cups after that. Like, the other cup was the biggest competition I knew of growing up. Mm-hmm. Between that, it was just phenomenal. Um, but then obviously the Millennium Cup was just out of this world stuff. So T- tell us about. Uh that 2000 so you you lost you, you you know you were successful against uh, Nemo it would have been early 01 early yeah. 2001 um you crossed the pond in oh you, I did t- I did tell us oh, yeah. how it happened oh I got a phone call uh, Paddy Carney rang me I didn't know he rang like there was no mobile so he rang the house phone on a Friday night Paddy Carney was over in Kerry New York in oh, yeah. in um in New York obviously so he rang to, like, Casa Gregory, yeah, Gregory, yeah, yeah 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 so he, he rang it was all a Casa Gregory order actually 
Paddy Connor as well, and a lot of lads. So, but um, we uh, <laughs> we so Paddy Carney rang, like he said, look, will you come to will you come to New York for the summer? I said, absolutely. Jesus, no, no problem at all. Like you said, we'll give you a, a bed, we'll give you a job, whatever it was, the, the, the package or whatever it was. I said, brilliant. And he said, there's another fellow going to come as well, DJ Fleming, will you ring him? Oh, yeah. And I said, Dodge. I said, oh, brilliant. So the two of us, so I had no passport, like, so, or anything well, like no that. No, so I hadn't been, the furthest I was, I'd say in Limerick, <laughs> above the Gaelic grounds. But so I applied for passport, like this was, I'd say, this was, I'd say the middle of May, I was just finishing school. And I'd, um, I, I suppose I got an emergency passport. I rang Dodge and I, he said, well, I can go if you'll go. I said, well, I'm definitely going. My mother was like, oh my God, he's too young. Little bit. Like just 18. So just tight to go. But so eventually the whole thing, I had to tell the club then because I had to get a transfer paper. Holy that's, that's always done. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, it's like we to the principal's office. Like, so it's just, so that went down like a little blue anyway, like holy war, your man is fucking off anyway after the first year anyway. But anyway, alright. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like yeah, off with you. Don't worry, it comes up in conversation every so often. But <laughs> off I went over anyway. I'll never forget if John Reardon picked up myself and Dodge over in um in uh, JFK, like we were like two kids. Look, he put us into it. He was driving a Mercedes. Like we were never in the car with a sunroof. He said, <laughs> like the two of us, right? He said, "Do you want to go for a drive downtown or whatever?" Like, absolutely. Like he said, "Oh, you're you're staying in, in a, a hotel." We were like, "God, like, this is this is fairy tale stuff here for us." So we we know we were driving down the heads out the the sunroof like for about an hour. Like eventually we got to our hotel anyway. Like we just said we was right across from Madison Square Gardens, like the South Court Hotel. I'll never forget it. I felt from Kevin owned it. Uh, like, but it was just the most unbelievable summer I, I've ever put down. I couldn't get over the welcoming. Um, out of everyone over there like we were a bit like we look we thought we were superstars which we weren't anyway um, well Dodge was actually very good over there he, he set the world on fire over there in fairness and he went back three summers in a row but like I just couldn't get over the how welcoming everyone was there like we stayed in a hotel for the first three or four nights then we moved out with Petty Connor and his wife Anne and like they just looked after us for the whole summer we were like their little little kids around the place like we were supposed to go out to work like I, I'd say I worked 10 days we just go playing pitch and putt up in Flushing Meadows with Dad. Like, but it was like I, I just couldn't get over how they were so open to us coming over there, opening up their homes. And like then the, the other side of it is we were taking somebody's place. So there was a guy who was training for six months all the year who's playing wing back, and then there was this guy coming over from Kerry taking his place for the summer. Mm. I, I just and but like and I was introduced who was who was played Sean or whoever was played there the week before and he was telling me who was a marking and he was helping me I was like this is fucking this is brilliant like this guy is like I'm taking his place and he's helping me like you know just there was that but it was all for the benefit of the team and the benefit of the community and mm-hmm. the, the spirit was just phenomenal but like we I, I couldn't get over this like so we were trained on the Friday night our first night over like you know met the lads great crack everyone's fun and everyone knows everyone and then the Saturday night you get a steak dinner it was in Brannigan's out in Sunnyside. We're staying in Sunnyside, Forty Second Street. But like, I was like, that just is this is professional stuff here. Like we're on to, we're on to a winner. Like so that was great. We played a game in. A, I was marking Aidan Dorgan from Cork the first day. He he was I think Cork were beaten in the championship. So he was he was over on a weekend as well. You know, when I was going to ask you, was there many county players over at that time? There was like yeah, there was, like he, he was the, when we were to say we were the, we, there for the summer. We were the summer ones. We had no weekend player that weekend. Um, but they were whoever I think we were playing Leitrim he was playing with Leitrim that time but um, like yeah it, it literally took me for a run for an hour around the field like 
I just said, yeah, thirteen aside. That's yeah, last half a stone. But like then we couldn't get <laughs> the over. Yeah, we're all gone. But then I couldn't get over the best crack. We needed the dressing room afterwards. Then Bud Light, cans of Bud Light inside in the shower. Like we were saying, oh my god, party time. Yeah, we're never going home. Like don't worry, the Bud Light was long taking his toe. Like we ended up on top of a bar counter that night. But, um, but yeah, like that was we ended up staying with Paddy for the for the summer. But um, like I I remember um. There, we were short a free taker I'd say it was a second or third week in and they know a free taker like in Paddy Carney said you know anyone and I said I could ask one of the lads to come over you know Pod like the Pod was our free taker in Glyfesk and I, and I was saying Pod I don't know he was like him bring him over so I rang Pod on a Tuesday would you come over Pod was like oh Jesus absolutely like so started out his flights every Pod arrived over Friday night and that was grand and then I was explaining what had happened the night before the steak dinner like Pod had three steak dinners the night before <laughs> like they're all saying this guy won't wag at all but he kicked 13 to 14 points as well like and he lost another half a stone in a way that, and during the game but like yeah it was just uh, but again he was made so free welcome as well and just but yeah that was the summer in New York was just like I'll for, forever remember I actually went back there and got engaged with Siobhan my wife but I just like uh, I just the people the Irish people over there were just absolutely like, oh yeah. yeah and even playing in Gaelic Park it was actually quite nervous because obviously there was pressure on you to perform mm-hmm. because if you didn't perform like you know you're, you know you're taking the guy's place you're there to benefit the team and like it's all about qualifying you need to get to the quarter final or you need to progress you know and the summer start enough so um, there was a bit of pressure and like you know um, Dodge was very good like I remember the first game Dodge got 2-4 just like strolling around the place, not a bother. He was very, like, he was very, very good. Is he gay? Gay, he'll come in, he'll come in, like, yeah. But he was like, yeah, he was in a par with Gooch when they were minors. Like, it's just God, Dodge was too lazy to train. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he was very good. Like, so yeah. It, it's um, you know, on just more on that point there, you know, that that summer in America, um, what? For actually, did you go back there again? And I believe there is um, you know, there's some connection as well because obviously 2001 you know 9-11 happened oh uh, yeah like so it's a 9-11 um, like I was coming home um, on like Saturday the, whatever the 8th or the, the 9th whatever mm-hmm. the, the 7th whatever that is oh, se- the se- September yeah, yeah September yeah. so I was coming home and I had my whole weekend planned so like we were working on the basement of Tower 1 for on the Friday morning but it was my going away party on the Friday night because I was flying out on Saturday because Ireland were playing Holland on the Saturday night McAteer got the goal oh. You two were playing in Slane, so and then Kerry were playing. So I was going to the game and Kerry were playing Mead, where we got absolutely hockeyed. So I had the whole week planned out. So we were inside in Tower One, um, doing we were well. I wasn't doing much. No, I was probably holding a torch. The lads were drilling for an air conditioning unit. And next look, by twelve o'clock, the lads said, "Look, we better go home. We better get ready to go out." Like, because you know, if you're going tomorrow. We need to get at least ten or twelve hours drinking into us, you know. Because, yeah, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just didn't want to, you know, get jet lag, jet lag or anything like that. So never finished the job anyway. So off we went to meet our lovely night out, and we were all crying and everything that night. And we had a great summer. And off we came back and met Anna Kavanagh in Dublin that night. We watched the Irish game together, and um, went to the the, the Kerry Mayo game. Got hockeyed. And Kerry Mead. Kerry Mead. Sorry, Kerry Mead. Yeah, Mead. Yeah, missed by I think seventeen or eighteen points. Yeah, but. Right. Um, Came down the train to that night, like a, a, at a roller coaster of the weekend, and ended up in the Tatler till all hours closing time, whatever that has. And look, obviously, got home then on Monday after being home for two days. The mother, obviously, she's like, you know, <laughs> so that, that was added on to that the was that, yeah. like, yeah. So, but then, like, 9 11 happened on the Tuesday morning, Jeez. so and like, like, I, I suppose 
it was, you know, it's one of those moments, I suppose, just when Princess Diana dies, you know, all these things, everyone remembers where they were. And I was at home and I was just the news was breaking, I suppose. It was five past two hour time. So we'd no sky at home, so I backed the road to my uh, cousin's name, so stayed sky, like they were they were cool at the time. So like, but yeah, so this was like, I suppose it was one of the, I suppose, iconic moments, I won't say in my life, no, but that I could relate to, that I was saying, I was there four days ago. Like, I, like you know, and I was, I suppose, again, no mobile, so you couldn't get through. Like, and Dad had actually stayed on for the weekend. Dad was staying on for about 10 days. So, like, I didn't know where he was or what he was doing. Like, and I knew he wasn't at work. But, like, and I, he was going out saying with uh, friends in Long Island. But just to ring and say, but the phone lines were down. So you couldn't actually ring anyone. I had all the boys' numbers. I had Paddy Connor's number. I had Ian Galvin's or all these guys' numbers. But you, you couldn't contact anyone. But the lads never went to work on Monday, anyway. And the lads we were working with were actually on the way into work on the Tuesday morning when the first plane hit. So like they were, I'd say four or five blocks away, just going in, finishing the job. Like, so I didn't find this out for about a week or so because like there was no levels of contact where DJ had rang home, told his mom and his mom had rang me, you know, but just the way the story had went. But like, I was just saying how close to home that was then for me, you know, and you know, you know, it just makes you think about things. But um, yeah, like, so New York is always a place that I was supposed to have a grow. I actually went back to Siobhan, my wife then, like when the, the the monuments and the you know the it's amazing too yeah ah oh, amazing but I was like saying whoa last time we were here it was just yeah I, I just you, you know four days like that yeah four days crazy. like yeah and it's just it, it's uh, I suppose it's crazy but like it was just um it, it was like New York is like a, I had a, probably the best summer of my life there and then look that happened like it was just you know it's just when you can relate to something mm. you know or it's it just I suppose it brings it all home. But um, yeah, look, I suppose, and so I, I remember, I'll never forget it. I watched the news all day, like I said, you know, in my my cousin's house on Sky, the whole thing was unfolding. The second plane crashing, the you know, the whole thing. I was like, whoa, Jesus that's me. And you know, they're, they're on about these landmarks, that, you know, where things are happening. The plane came in from Staten Island, all these things. So it's just, you know, I, I, uh, I suppose like that. New York is always a special place for me. And. Did you go back again? Any time I did. Time? Oh yeah, I went back three or four times. Like, which, like I say, myself and Siobhan got engaged in Central Park there years ago. No playing football. Oh no, no, no. I'd say they didn't want me after that. The first, <laughs> I'd say, I did. I did. I did enough damage the first year. I'd say. <laughs> I worked for ten days out there. Like so, they couldn't. Uh, they couldn't. I, I was telling them they couldn't. I couldn't. They couldn't find me enough work. So um, I'd say I probably cost them money. So it was. <laughs> That's life experience, though. Ah yeah. Character building. Was character like building yeah, like character building. I've been working since, is what I tell fellas. Make no for it. <laughs> yeah, I've been working and since. You, 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 you touched on it there, so you went out since to, you know, to, to New York with, with your wife and all that. How did that feel? You know, you kind of touched on it, but can you just... Yeah, no, like, I was to tell you where, like, I wanted to go back up to Queens and stuff like that. And we, we went out for a day and I was showing her where, you swear I grew up there, the way I was showing her around yeah. now, like, as if, like, oh, it's been 25 years here. Like, I was there for a summer and I was showing her where Maggie Mays was, the pub across the way, where Bennigan's was down the bottom seat and where or the bottom in the street and where Blooms was then she was like they're all bars and I was like so I was like well look you know, a lot of our life revolved around playing football and socialising so but ah uh, no it, like uh, what did it feel like I suppose like it kind of I won't say it felt like home but like it's it, like it is very sentimental out there and like the New, York, the New York people are very very they're very welcoming as well they're very like us I know like it's a huge vast but the Irish in New York like there's a, I've never forgot, we used to get our dinner in the butcher block 
and like you just go in for your bacon and cabbage and I was like it's I suppose it's such an Irish thing we go away we're always on about how far we want to go away we want to travel the world and we go do this and do that and what's the first thing we look for we look for an Irish bar and then there was a shop then or this butchers that makes traditional Irish dinner so we were having corned beef on the Tuesdays we were having bacon and cabbage on a Thursday you know yeah we were overfit but I mean look I I suppose again we're back to the creatures of habit that we we have that Irishness in us and we want to relate back home even though we want to be away so but uh, I know it was nice like and look I'd love to go again obviously look I'd love to go this year again if if that's possible if it's allowed um, there was something as well that someone told me that you were called in the, on the 21s or was there a carry on the 21s or was there oh, some, yeah, some confusion yeah. there was that? There, uh, well look I won't say confusion no I think uh, Ambrose O'Donnell was the selector at the time and I think he got his right but I, I think he got it right but there was um, he said to call in one of the Favirs so like we were under of the understanding it couldn't be Paul because Paul was his man was getting ten or twelve points every game we played even though he was marking the corner forwards so the the lads felt it was probably me that should go in but uh, Ambrose was told to send in one of them so I just said I'd show up and see how I got and look we had I had a good run at the under twenty ones I was there for two or three years so it was. Um, there was some serious talent at the time. Oh, so you were, you were, yeah, I was yeah, I was there for kind of two or three years. I was trying to break onto it for two or three years. And the Glifest lads made that very well known that I, I still didn't play a game with them. But <laughs> um yeah, look, there was there was a serious talent there at the time. Like you'd Mark Shea, you'd in Mahoney on Brasson was was there. Oh, the, like yeah. uh, John O'Connor was there, Declan Quill, all like they were Oh yeah. I was gonna ask you what what like what led went on to County scene, so you'd all. Kieran Kremen was in goals at the time, so Kieran kicked onto the senior team after that, then in goals. Um, you would Mark O'Shea, um, John O'Connor, Owen Brosnan, um, in Mahoney was there. Um, who else was there? Declan Quill, uh, Dara Long from the Stacks. Yeah. Like, so yeah, there was like, you know, Declan Sullivan was just coming in that Gooch, then I was just leaving because Gooch was coming in, so oh. I made space for him there in the panels, which was easier. <laughs> Um, so yeah, no, there was there was serious talent there, but like I was in Cork at the time then as well. Paul Galvin from Ballymac was there. Um, you know, uh, run on O'Connor. There was three run on. There was a team with the three run on O'Connors. Oh, Fallamore. Uh, and uh, oh, no, Ballyduff and Kilcommon. Oh jeez. Yeah. So like yeah, so there was a, there was a nice team there and a lot of good social guys there as well, which was uh, very important <laughs> as well. There's a trend here, no? Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah. And you, so, you you said there, sorry. Um, Sorry, you said there you were in Cork at the time. Do you want to just kind of delve into that aspect of, of your time in Cork? Um, so I suppose that's when I went to Cork. Doing, I actually got a scholarship after the, the, the leaving, I had to repeat the leaving, because uh, I didn't really do much the first time around. So I said I'd go back and I did as little the, the second time around. But um, I got a scholarship to go to Waterford doing uh, sports and leisure and business. Um, but I didn't really know anyone went to Waterford. So I, I kind of declined that. And my mother was like, so you can go to Tralee to do the same course then. And I said, look, Cork, like, there's a lot of people going to Cork that I know I could you know, easily slip in there. So I went up to do PR and advertising <laughs> in the College of Commerce, of course, that I knew absolutely nothing about. But I knew that there was a lot of guys going to Cork. So I ended up going to Cork anyway. And um, I, I suppose that was the start of my, I suppose, business career. And I, I suppose a lot of other things. But I ended up working in, in the in the Bailey in Cork. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine, Shane Tracy, was a partner there. And look, he, I worked with him in one or two of the hotels in Killarney. So he kind of brought me in and I was doing three or four nights a week there. And I was in college probably five hours a week. So, I mean, there was a natural progression to go working full time. And I suppose looked in as things materialised in 2002. I became kind of manager there. And then I, I bought into the business then. 
so there was there was five of us involved so I, was, I suppose I was in the Bailey for um, 12 to 14 years and that's a bit that's a busy uh, I was busy yeah, yeah it was busy I suppose it's on the Washington Street there, so we'd be, they were reared in the Washington Courthouse was. So there was a nice, there's a nice little circle of pubs there, like you know. And I suppose any fellow who was involved in football in UCC or hurling, they would that's where they would go. So like you know, um, and I suppose anyone from Kerry was that was the I was the point of contact in, which was great. So, but yeah, looking at look, I suppose the that changed over time as well. You know, we it became a late night venue. So we were open in the morning because it was right beside the court. It was when the court was reopened there. So we were doing teas and coffees and, and all that. But I suppose then, like, the society changed as well. And the student scene got huge. So we went down the late night route. So it became a late night venue then. So, like, Thursday night was our busiest night. And, like, obviously the weekends, like, Cork is, is a very busy spot the weekends, obviously. So the weekend trade was huge. So, um, but again, like, everything it does, it cycles. So we we ended up getting involved in two or three other projects. So we had uh, another baron, Carol Glenn, called the Stables. And um, myself and three other lads in took on the rock which is on college road so yeah. that was an ultimate college experience so i was trying to relive my youth by taking on that project still holding on still <laughs> hanging on like yeah so yeah we did that for for five years but i suppose like um being involved with lots of different personalities and different people in partnerships um i suppose i found it hard i suppose i was maybe seven or eight years younger with the people i was involved in the business with mm-hmm. and we all wanted different things from the business i suppose and I just felt maybe that I, I suppose I had my time done with being involved with people. So in 2014, I felt it was time for me to look at something, projects myself, and maybe kick on and look to move home. So I took out a lease of a bar in McCroom, which I thought was the first kind of stepping stone for me to try to learn things. About, I knew things at a, a senior level, you know, of, and working with other people. But I, I suppose taking on a bar in McCroom, it was in the unknown. Bar was closed. You know, it was, it was, a, it was a new... I suppose a, a kickstart um, project for me. So look, I took that on JC Murphy's in McCroom, and a good friend, a good, a good friend of mine, Owen Walsh, helped me with that. He was very, he was exceptionally good actually, and he worked in the Bailey with me. But um, had that next thing, I suppose the progression. I obviously the dream was always to open up a bar in Killarney, and it's just there's no point in opening up something for the sake of it. I was just biding my time, and obviously I had the share concept for I suppose banged for four or five years, and I was just trying to get when was the right time to get it over the line you had it in your head was it I had it in my head that I wanted to do obviously open up a bar in Killarney but I didn't want to just open up a bar I needed to do something different what yeah what, what, so what, the, well the show here like I suppose I was trying to do my research and I suppose that was a lot of it done in Cork as well is that there's a lot of traditional Irish bars in Killarney and they all do what they do exceptionally well mm-hmm. so there was no point in me trying to come in and carbon copy what they do I needed to do something different and there's a real like I suppose I did my kind of research on say a lot of tourists of Killarney outside of Dublin is the biggest tourist destination for hospitality in Ireland so when the, say the foreign client comes to, to Ireland the, Dublin is the first port of call then maybe Kilkenny Cork and then Killarney so by the time they've come to Killarney they've seen probably three or four traditional Irish pubs mm-hmm. so I said I'd come up with a different concept in the Shire so the Shire was a Lord of the Rings themed bar and where we got that was that like myself and my brothers were all small fellas so they called us the Hobbits and I wouldn't confess then they called our host the Shire so again I used to tell the lads that, you know, I'm going to open up a bar in Killarney, I'm going to call it the Shire, and they were like, you are, yeah, you are. Yeah. I can so, imagine yeah. the commentary. Ah, sure, look, this is going on for three or four years, so when they finally came on to stream in it, they were like, oh my God, what are we going to be listening to here? <laughs> so, but yeah, look, it came, and it, as it turned out, as it transpired, it was the first team to bar in Ireland, 
I didn't obviously realise that until, you know, I suppose when I was opening up, it actually grabbed the national media, like Dermot and Dave, Pat Kenny, Matt Cooper, a lot of these guys had got on to me and I'd done in, um, media interviews with them uh, mm-hmm. kind of the week before we opened up and, you know, the question was what's going to be happening here and I was like saying, this is actually going to be bigger than I thought. So, which was great and, you know, we had a lot of... Um, international clients and I suppose a lot of it was social media driven because you're checking into the Shire and we had beers called after characters like so we Frodo's Lag or Bilbo's Beer Gandalf's Ale they were brewed like by um, Killarney Brewery so you know that, that was another attraction and then our local our, our signature cocktail was called Habit Juice so that was something we came up with ourselves so that was served in a jam jar so it, like it was different and it was away from the norm so like I suppose and it grabbed the global audience as well because the, so the Lord of the Rings is a global audience even mm-hmm. though I probably wouldn't have been a fan uh, originally, but you know, by default, no, we're Don't be in, long, we're going can we are, can any bandwagon, but yeah, so like that's kind of the way it happened. And I suppose, like, I suppose the, the Lord of the Rings team did me for three or four years, but I felt then that look, it needed something else. So, and it's just kind of felt the way society was going that I needed to add something to the brand. So, I opened up the cafe, which was it was a laundrette before I took over it in probably three years ago, and I suppose I had to do a full refurb. Of it, and I kind of made it a little bit more, I suppose, uh, foresty or whatever you want to you know, with um, you know, branches and artificial grass, and you know, that kind of a shorter concept. So, um, and I just felt the way the culture was going that the coffee trade and the cafe trade was going to be part of every business, you couldn't just be selling drink alone. So, we kind of enhanced our food offering, and I suppose that the cafe then was a natural, natural progression for that. Well, one thing which going through it, you know, um. Right target market, you get to you get to broaden the horizon after two or three years. Um, but if I say it to someone, oh, the Shire and Clarny, it's a Lord of the Ring team bar. Straight away by default, they're probably going to be like, I don't follow Lord Lord of yeah, the Rings. Why ab- should I go there? Absolutely, the- that was a challenge. That was a challenge I I had, and that was I suppose why I had to kind of add the cafe to it as well because like a lot of people are saying oh, I have no interest in Lord of the Rings or you know or that Harry Potter place that's you know and that was and that was feedback that was coming back I, I have no interest and then I suppose I was trying to find a happy medium because I created kind of a, a nice ambience in the bar where there was low ceilings one or two little snugs where that if you weren't a Lord of the Rings team fan you actually mightn't even know it so a lot of it was subtle so there was all Elvish writing on the ceilings um, on the walls that you would say what's that you know if you didn't I'm know just getting flashback no I remember I was in there yeah. there was some funny walking around the place yeah, yeah Gollum Go- sorry yeah, yeah, funny yeah <laughs> so like yeah you know it was trying to find a happy medium and that was a challenge in itself then as well so for the the punter that wasn't the Lord of the Rings fan I was like I tried to create a different kind of perspective of the bar and they were saying it's actually quite a nice bar so there was that challenge as well. So yeah, yeah. I, did I eliminate some customers? I probably did, um, but I was quite happy with the level of customers we were getting. So again, it was trying to grow the business. So you know, and we're still like there's still people. We still get a lot of international attraction of you know people commenting on social media that like Mr. Shire, love you know, which is great. And I think the name itself as well is checking into the Shire, drinking Bilbo's beer, and having a glass of Hobbit juice. It's just something different, you know, yeah. rather than just checking into. Dublin having a pint of Guinness. Is that why you went into the went down the route of sponsoring East Kerry J? Obviously, the J was always close to your heart. Oh, but did it kind of fall in, into line with? Yeah. That well, that was another stepping stone, I suppose. Like that, you're constantly looking at something that's going to improve your business or grow your business or grow your audience. So, and I suppose it was David Dunahoo who was over East Kerry at the time. Like, like I had two not so good years with East Kerry. Like they were beaten by Milton behind the Kilorgan 
in the first round and they lost the second round to uh, sorry the second year to Field Rangers mm-hmm. so like it's only in the last two to three years is where the the Clifford yeah right the Clifford the Clifford uh, era like yeah but that the, 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 the current discovery team well I suppose I would have had a lot of history like my dad obviously uh, who took a ball of money off your gates yeah. with um, <laughs> yeah it's, it's no paying for the jerseys actually yeah, yeah. but no no but I suppose my dad would have been treasurer on the scary board my, my uncle Pat would have been a chairperson on the scary board um, my uncle Anthony worked He's on the scary board yeah exactly yeah so he um, and then my other uncle Joe would have been involved in the scary board as well so they were all involved in the board and and I suppose I played with East Kerry under twenty one as well. We won we won three in a row under twenty one as well with East Kerry. So we had a very strong team that time as well. So it was I suppose sponsoring that sponsoring East Kerry then was just the next next progression. I suppose trying to give it back. Like I suppose Glenfesk. I, I looked at sponsoring Glenfesk, but I suppose I'm eliminating everyone else from East Kerry then. Mm-hmm. And it just you know I I couldn't sponsor every single individual club. So it just it just ticked the box for me and the timing was right. Mm-hmm. Um, and again look it just I mean it's um. East Kerry board as well they're probably the most progressive and proactive board well obviously that's again biased by me but uh, like they're very very good um, workers within it and have a very good working relationship with it so mm-hmm. but my job is very easy I just stand in the background to Jerry Sullivan trains the team you know and does everyone else does, uh, does all the work behind the scenes so look it's um, and the, that group of players I think like guys say obviously there's a Clifford factor but that group of players have actually won a lot of like three or four of them have a lot of well, minors, they're, they're three minors yeah. they'd have a Hogan Cup and they'd have you know a lot of um, they, a lot of them would have three county um, minor medals as well oh, yeah. so that group of players between Spa and you know Glenflesk and they're actually quite successful so I mean and they've been up together all along so this didn't just happen overnight like they, this has been happening with probably six to seven years and it's just that it's kicked on mm-hmm. and like you know like if you look at it, I think the, 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 the general age there is 23 or 24 yeah, it's quite remarkable in fairness yeah uh, so I mean that and the other clubs are benefiting off it as well like you see the likes of Spa you know the Rapmore, Rapmore like Paul Murphy and Shane oh. Ryan are, are in it now this year you know, so they're a different element as well Kilcummel will be in it now as well like, yeah. but like East Kerry will probably lose Spa or someone in the next year or so because someone like Spa or a potential top two going to win the intermediate like they're in the quarter semi-final next so does you know does that so it goes in cycles mm-hmm. and I know like I, there was there was talks that these Kerry should be split like um, but so Kerry got three in a row as well they were flying for years yeah, yeah they were, you know and they, like, they had huge battles with Crokes they were five finals against the Crokes so like they like it goes in cycles like so East Kerry will lose players in the next two years and like hopefully the game players like Kilcomer don't don't want to be intermediate for a very long time they're going to be want to kick on again mm-hmm. and go back up senior like every club it's all about progression mm-hmm. and they need to have those progression they need to have the goals yeah. so if they don't have that they may as well not bother playing so it. yeah but no these carry thing look it, it is I'm, de- I'm delighted to be involved and look it keeps the tradition going with the family as well so the jerseys. Yes. Quite remarkable, right? You with the red and white, but then the you know what really got national, you know. Oh, uh, the black jersey. The black yeah, the black one. It kind of came out of nowhere. It was. Um, was black always the default? No, it was. No, it was white. I, I think the black came from kind of the own rural jersey, which would have been. Oh yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, the black one. It just it was that came about because. Um, East Kerry got Dingle in the semi-final and both were playing, so they tossed and Dingle wore red. So East Kerry actually had to wear a spa jersey. 
So because there was no other jersey, so we had no second jersey because there was no necessary. So we went about getting a, a second jersey and we looked at different clubs in the county and Bar Croaks, there wasn't too many that were wearing black. And um, so we just felt that it was kind of a happy medium to go along with a black jersey and it actually got huge exposure. It was like, and like, we still like, there was orders going to Donegal there for Christmas for it like yeah no it, look I suppose it's different we're all looking for a different jersey yeah. and and look the, I suppose the branding came out quite well as well which I was delighted with and um, that's look, the main thing that's the most that's, that's the most that's the most important thing yeah winning counties in branding yeah, yeah. exactly no like it, it um, you know I suppose as a, as a sponsor you know you want to get your brand out there and your business out there and the fact that the jersey went did very well ah uh, you do like yeah but I don't think like uh, somebody asked me there recently like is it worth it to be sponsoring his carry mm-hmm. I don't think it's ever financially worth it I think we do it and it's like one of these things we do it because we love being involved in something we love th- there's a success story with it and we want to give something back like I don't think I'll ever make money out of his carry but it's just it's a passion and it's being involved and you know it's, like we, we love like we love the GA yeah. like you know and I, that's like that's what I'm telling fellas anyway fellas is saying that the branding is looking well but no it is like we love being involved and I, you know it gives us a purpose like even though I went back training last night for the first time after 10 years with Clifesk but it's just the being involved is, is the biggest thing the biggest thing so yeah. you're not out of retirement you're coming out of retirement no I'm just going back training I'll see how I am no like uh, another two or three days I'll see how I am <laughs> yeah. we have to take a trip back to inch into the water or something uh, like <laughs> never know um, look the the you, you know, you obviously dealt, you've been in the hospitality industry for a long time. I believe you also um, have been part of a couple of teams, managed a couple of teams, GA yeah. teams. What has that been like? I suppose when I was in Cork, look, I did a, a personal training course and I, you know, I became, uh, I suppose, uh, an instructor. Just, again, looking at different projects and, you know, trying to, I suppose, keep the mind busy as well. You know, you can never be, you can never be too busy. But um, I, I got involved with um, Hina Junior Club in Cork. And it was just, I, I was only 29, so it was a couple of years ago, and it was just something different. Like, I, I probably should have been still playing, but like I, the road was the biggest problem. We had a young, you know, we were just after a young baby, mm-hmm. so just, and McCroom, I was living in Banacolic at the time. So, like, it was one of the most rewarding things, and I suppose soul searching things as well, like dealing with, I suppose, 35 different personalities from a different perspective, like in like the football pitch. Like, when you go out there, it's just a different, it's a different experience. You know, anything goes. I can tell you fuck yourself you know whatever. there's not too many places you know when you're in charge of people and they can do that and they come back to you 30 seconds later sorry about that there you know it's just I but I found dealing with a different level of personalities because a lot of guys use football as a release to go away from work like work is so stressful and home life is so stressful at the moment mm-hmm. for everyone as well I just felt that the man management of it was I won't say hard but I just dealing with the different personalities because like everything in work is so structured mm-hmm. but I absolutely loved it like and the group of guys up there in Ahina were just my God, like their their will to win were just phenomenal. Like we got them, we 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 I suppose we won their first cup in twenty years. They won the league, but we got them to have a final. Like and I just absolutely distraught. I was more disappointed for myself for for them than I was for myself of maybe losing a county final. Then like I just would have loved to get them guys over the line. They were just they put their heart and soul into absolutely everything. And I just was like, um, but again, it opened my eyes up to something else as well. You know, just from, uh, it maybe changed my management structure at work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, different approaches to different things and different circumstances, which I thought was very good as well. So, so it, it, it improved your, your, well, it allowed you to, you know, to think 
and outside of the box as well got, yeah, from a different set of things as well and it gave, it gave me a little bit more organisation as well like I couldn't just say when you're as, as a player you just got training you do it you're told you know you're saying you're doing 10 laps you're going to do sprints like I oh, used to be training half an hour beforehand and I was probably 15 minutes or afterwards and then you're busy for the hour and 15 minutes you're there mm-hmm. so you know and not alone that you have to deal with the personalities outside it after which is great and I love that and but like you just you become far more organised and that was probably something I did in my life as well it helped me get a little bit more organised obviously because you know with hospitality it's I won't say everything is casual or everything is you know happy go lucky but it, it gave me that little I to be I to be organised for these guys and the biggest thing is these guys are trusting you you know they're trusting you to manage your team you know and you don't want to leave them down either and I think that you know like the fact that they're backing you and the club are backing you and everyone is you know within the club is backing you you know you don't want to you don't want to leave anyone down and that's the biggest thing you don't want to disappoint anyone so you like these guys here putting their life and soul into their club you don't want to be the guy to you know not make it work so I think you're, you're trying to create success for them as well and you know would you have done some team building you know with them or, or at the time when you were uh, we didn't really do that we just did different things we changed it up a small bit you know we like we went for like I suppose 5k runs and stuff like that because everything was you know before it was so structured mm-hmm. and that's what I tried to do is take away the, the structure I tried to introduce a lot of kind of rugby tactics into it you know, just run, running off the ball, running off the shoulder, little things like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I suppose little, little subtle changes because the team building, I, I just felt more talking to people, mm-hmm. asking guys what they thought because I suppose I would have been used to, I suppose, when we were young, I was being told what to do with training and doing this. Asking, well, what works? What, do you, what, what works for you? Mm-hmm. You know, because and running with the ball, I found was a lot. And, you know, communicating with guys. And uh, like I say, you only have them for an hour and a half, probably maybe, or if it's twice a week. You and try to get into a guy's head for those two and a half hours a week is it's very very hard so get them to tell you what's working what's not working because mm-hmm. you could be doing it all wrong and there's nothing more true so like uh, I just love the ball I love running with the ball I think it's just the, the best exercise and I think you can do all the gym work in the world but you cannot be kicking the ball at each other running after it you know just there's so such basic exercise and I think actually that's something that's missing from football at present like guys are at super fit they're in super shape they're built like tanks mm-hmm. not a guy's on ball skills no, you know? they don't, no they're I missing they're missing yeah. ball skills and that's one thing I just I, I remember I loved playing football and it was when training with Lefesk everything was about the ball just you're doing your kicking drills at the ball your hand passing drills at the ball you're still doing the work you're still doing the workload. You're working. You're running for thirty minutes. You don't even know it. Mm-hmm. So that's the one thing I look. I'd love to get back into football. Would you? I'm put you on the spot here now. Glenflesk or East Kerry? Would you love to get involved with them? Ah, uh, you're probably probably not Glenflesk because when you're the minute you go training your own club, you're worse in the world. That's the problem. Yeah. So like, uh, you're going to train another club. I probably would train another club a hundred times over. Um, East Kerry, no. I like. I think East Kerry's gone to a different level of um i think it's just under it's nearly inter-county mm-hmm. like jerry sullivan has done an exceptional job and but he's got an exceptional team with him as well like sean cronin um he's you know he's a couple of other guys with him that you know it's another level up mm-hmm. um and he's carrying i'm quite happy where i am you know we like we look after the catering side of things we we feed him after training every night you know we put packs together for pre-match games and stuff or oh, games right. and stuff so i'm quite happy to do that where i am with that and i prefer to meet the lads in a social capacity and you know have a few beers with them so but um yeah no no not and and i think the minute you take over your own club like it's just you know, yeah, you're, you're never going to be the you're never yeah. uh, you're never whatever you've done for the last 20 years has gone out the window you uh, know. He's, not, he's not good in all this yeah that. so <laughs> yeah. we know that actually like yeah we know that anyway yeah <laughs> yeah um look we'll we, we might as well just kind of bring it down there you know kind of ra- uh, wrapping it up um ollie and just we might just bring it back to the hospitality sector again 
what is in your opinion um you know where where do we go from here where is the hospitality sector going to go from here where do we go from here like i suppose initially opening up it is going to be very very good and I suppose a lot is dependent, right, on, on what level of support the governments are going to do. Um, I know they keep saying that it's not going to fall off a cliff, and that they're going to, you know, they're going they're going to continue the supports. Um, like, if there wasn't a financial burden and the mental burden that goes with running the business, mm-hmm. I would love to come into work every day and meet people and sit down and have a cup of tea. And I won't say entertain people, but have the, you know, the communication of why people go out. Um, I would love to do that, but like, there's going to be so much else that goes with running a business from here on in, you know. Um, I think it'll be very, very good. I think we need to get the international um, clients back. Mm-hmm. Um, will they be back this year? I hope so. I hope they should be back at the end of the year. Like, I would think that September would be a, at a sufficient time to bring. I think there's a, there will be enough in Ireland. Like, the Irish people are very, very good. They'll back you all day long, you know. Mm-hmm. And we give out about each other, we'll slate each other. But I'm telling you, you know, when the Irish I found last year is that Irish people are very, very good, you know. And I think there'll be enough in the economy to keep Ireland going for June, July, and August. And I think the government should focus on that and then maybe look to September. I know maybe they should open up the borders in September. We could have a good September, October. Christmas will be good. I think the problem is going to start next January. I think we'll all get to Christmas and I think that's when the problems are going to start. That's when, like, okay, there's no supports. The trade isn't there. The international client won't be coming for another 10 to 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. We won't get them to paddies. You know, will they travel in their drones next year? Again, we hope so. But then we're into another problem is that we, the Irish, haven't been away in two years. We didn't go away last year. Well, we haven't been away in 12 months. Are, are we going away this year? We're not. So we're going to want to go to Spain and Portugal next year. Mm-hmm. So is the Irish market going to be there? So um, it is going to be very, very challenging. And I know there's loads of ifs and buts in that. But I suppose if we can get the international client back full time next year, and I suppose the domestic tourism looks after the off season. And like, I don't know what level of support they're going to give. It's going to be the spend and save scheme or whatever they want to put on it for the off season this year. We need to get the next March. And look at it readdress the whole thing then again like they can't just say oh that's it no COVID is over uh, supports are over it needs to be um, continuously maintained and I think this is going to be a two year like it, it won't be like a recession like the banking recession but it's going to be a volume of people problem we won't have the volume of people around that will cater for the businesses that are here mm-hmm. like Larney needs to fill his beds 12 months of the year you know to, to sustain what's going in here like so we can't close for the off season that can't happen we've been closed too long we want to stay open like you know people uh, I, I just uh, you know it frustrates me sometimes when you read the papers or read certain media outlets like that also their businesses are getting support they're giving they're getting great government support no business owner wants their doors closed everyone wants to keep the doors open the reason i get into business is because Obviously, I want to make money, but I want to meet people and I want to keep my business open and I want to progress and I want to excel and I want to, you know, grow the business. Mm-hmm. If I didn't, I'd just keep the doors closed and that's not what it's about. So, like, that kind of, I suppose, loose commentary that uh, they're fine, they're getting, the, you know, the supports. That, like, you telling me uh, a publican out in the countryside doesn't want to meet his customers? Oh, he does, definitely. They, like, he wants to welcome them with open arms. Mm-hmm. So, in no level of support will give you that mental satisfaction of <laughs> handing a guy a pint of Guinness and watching him drink it like that is just you know <laughs> make guys days so it is going to be very very challenging mm-hmm. um, I think this summer will be good um, and I, I just I look I, I would hope the government would see that there's a long term 
this has to be a long-term project that they can't just they obviously the VAT rate is great like but it's at nine percent you know that they need to save for another three years you know and the level of support uh, be it grants or whatever they're going to do like you know rates but councils are going to need money as well so there has to be a happy medium somewhere they can't just decide on the first of january next year okay all pandemic supports are over now you're out on your own that doesn't work gradual loosening like yeah you know um and what's the answer to that i don't know i don't know but there has to be something Mm -hmm. there has to be some sort of a, a continued support and like it's be it over 18 months or whatever it is but like every little helps you've no idea even the the wage subsidy every little helps that it just gives the the business owner that opportunity to stay in, in business because the minute the business closes that's it you know it, it, it's very hard to reopen or it's very hard to somebody come in and fill those boots but they, they need to see that the wheels of industry need to keep going because if you've 10 people employed in your business they're paying taxes they're spending money so you need to support the business to keep that open. There's a bigger picture that they need to look at. Mm-hmm. So Definitely, no, definitely. And before we wrap it up, second time saying this now, but yeah. the 4th of July, um, do you oh, want to give an insight into Oh, that? yeah, so like oh. the 4th of July in Killarney in 2014, I wasn't involved at the initial stage. So it's obviously the Killarney Chamber of Commerce came up with a concept that obviously for fourth of july in Killarney, we've such an influx of American tourists, mm-hmm. it would be a phenomenal concept to make a party and a parade for them to celebrate their national holiday the same way the they celebrate patrick's day in america so um the chamber of commerce are very very proactive in killarney they came up with this concept that we would have a parade a full day of events so i came into it in 2016 with chairperson with dermot lean and i suppose look i wanted to take it to another level so i suppose it, it, it's it's a full day of events you have the raising of the flag um uh, at seven o'clock in the morning outside the the town hall um, then over the course of the events you kind of had a street party so 2019 was our biggest year so we had the raising of the flag with street entertainment all day long um, there was a barbecue in Scott Street you know there was a, there's a, the, the, the build up is to kind of the nighttime, I suppose parade at 7 o'clock where there's probably 15 to 20,000 people on the streets of Killarney but the Americans get involved and they, like, they just they can't get over that we're doing this for them but like obviously it's it's to to create the atmosphere for them that they create for us on Paddy's Day. Like New York and Chicago are the two biggest um, Paddy's Day parades in the world, mm-hmm. you know, and it's the Americans celebrating the Irish. So it's just trying to give that back. And then I suppose in 2019 we did a dirty dancing um, movie night in Killarney House. And obviously at 12 o'clock to close off the whole day, we had a, a firework display, which was like, it was just phenomenal. But like the amount of work that goes into that, like we had, um, we had a band from Colorado here, in 2019 like it was like uh, they were in America they were um, oh they were a a school band you know so there was 120 of them all in purple like you know they're full attire all day like and they just like some of them were in tears walking through the parade and seeing the American flags and the Irish flags like there was like just couldn't get over it so um, it was just yeah look and to see that is is phenomenal as well to see the reaction that they're getting and I suppose it, it just tries to put in for the Killarney that make Killarney a destination for the fourth for July. So like for the American tours that are coming, try to plan that on their itinerary that Killarney is a place to be mm-hmm. for this three days, the day before, the day of the event and the day after. So to say that you know look come to Killarney for the July and look and for the locals, I mean the locals it's on a par with St Patrick's Aperate. So and it's in July. So the I suppose the the good the good benefit about this is that we nearly get a dry day because of Rotter and Patrick's Day because we're, we're, we're that little bit but I mean never say never in, in, in Ireland 
but yeah look and it's 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 something that is going to grow but again we missed it last year obviously it's going to be missed again this year mm-hmm. and it's it kind of always nearly ties in with the ring of Kerry as well so oh, yeah. like it's always kind of around those three or four days so the two events work excellently well together so it's just you know the you could have people cycling cycling during Kerry and you'd have the parade on Sunday. So it would look yeah it just it, it makes that time of um it, it makes it's a logistical nightmare for crowd control and for getting bids in Killarney. But look I suppose for the town it's just another you know vump up for for revenue which is great. So I got a few questions in and uh, I think they'd be funny to to end it on on that note. Um, how do you have such a consistent tan all year round? Except maybe this last lockdown. <laughs> hill walk, hill walking, and um, the fresh air up around Lockatan. <laughs> what difficulty has he come across because of COVID, and how has he has how has he counteracted? How counteracted to, to this difficulty? We um, probably alluded to uh, touching that already. I'd say that you know, you know, social distancing and stuff like that. Yeah, know? like I suppose it's the operational side of things because, and I suppose one thing, I suppose. Uh, is the consumer and the customer actually isn't fully aware of what is the, the restrictions are uh, you know and that, that was one difficulty we were I found myself we were and the staff as well like in a, it was it was it was very difficult for the staff they were trying to explain to people of the restrictions and I, I don't know is it the people just don't listen or, or what but you know we were constantly trying to explain you need to sit down you need to do this you need to do that and this table service will come to your table and that was one thing it just you know it, it probably added on another 30 seconds to every single order and every, you know it just it's time consuming if you do that 50 times a day yeah. for every single table it just yeah, like that was one challenge that we found you know that people were unsure of what to do uh, I'm afraid of some of these questions now yeah, <laughs> How has he always struggled? <laughs> has he always struggled with teams targeting with high ball duties? High local investment, I think. Uh, well, I was always on the brakes, so I was quite happy there. I was always low down getting on the brakes, so I was, uh, I was, I was okay there. What we two non-negotiables for you um, when hiring staff? Non-negotiables. Yeah, like would it have to be punctual? Um, good communication skills oh, communication is key for me mm-hmm. I just think how you how that person expresses themselves and how they carry themselves um, communication and presentation I just love somebody who comes in smartly dressed you know it, it takes a bit of pride in themselves mm-hmm. you know and that they can express themselves very very well because I think that relays straight away to the customer so when they're explaining something or they're talking or they're meeting and greeting a customer I just think looking for somebody in the eye you just you can't beat that interaction you know and yeah, eye contact is it's just and that's one of the most communication best communication skills that I, that I that I would always recommend to staff like look somebody in the eye straight away you have them you know and you, you can talk to them you're engaging with them mm-hmm. and you know you have them straight away and you know presentation I just think you know personal taking taking pride in that you're coming to work you've pride in your job you know my dad used to always I remember my dad he was a postman for 43 years but he was always going out the door smelling of aftershave freshly you know tie up done and dusted up to the you know top button rip you know or top button tied you know just pride in the uniform and pride in actually going to work so you know you that, that I, I really 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 emphasize that and that stood with you as well that's kind of something we touched on earlier on that yeah. you seeing your father doing that you know yeah. affected you um, i just you know like um i'd love to wear you a shirt and tie going to work but it just wouldn't suit me yeah <laughs> Who do you think will we we'll wrap it up in this now, Ollie? Who do you think will will uh, will win Dol Ireland this year? Uh, we say this every year, but obviously Kerry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there is something coming. 
Um, but um, look, obviously last year was nightmare. Yeah. Okay, um, no, like if you can criticize management, you can criticize teams. No one involved in football or teams wants that to happen. So I mean, you just need to get on with it and move on. Like that, it all these like all these things happen. Like so, guys asking for Peter Keane said like that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to just move on, mm-hmm. progress. So I think Kerry have a huge point to prove. And um, even though we know that, like we are, like sure we're biased here in Kerry, we think the Kerry are the best team in the country, which they are. We just need to get it right. Mm-hmm. So I think, I, I think, I think Kerry will come kick on, and we do say that every year. But we say that because we wanted to win. We, you know, we need it. We need it as well. Yeah. Like we need it. We need another Ireland Kerry. You know, it boosts the economy. It boosts everything. So and uh, we get two or three good days out in Dublin out of it as well. Like I, rem- <laughs> yeah. I remember that in two thousand, like when Kerry were going well. The drawing games against Galway and Armagh were the best days or whatever because we got another day up. So and they were on Saturdays. So you know we need to go to Dublin and we need you know we need all those days out in our lives. So we need Kerry to progress. Like and that's one thing that probably we needed more so last year. We needed to go to Dublin for a quarter final. We needed for a semi final. We needed to get the Northern final, and it wasn't there for us. Mm-hmm. So whatever hurt the players are feeling, like we're feeling it equally. You know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I do think Kerry will do something. Um, I think we'll be there. Um, I, I don't know if that's my heart or my head, but um, I, I do think Kerry will win the All Ireland. You know, perfect, perfect. Look, we'll we'll wrap it up. Um, I, I appreciate taking time out. We we you know we went well over over allocated time uh, to come on inside view podcast and look best look with everything going forward. Thanks, Jamie, and same to you. Thank you very much. That is all from us on this week's episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, and be sure to get in contact with the show if you'd like to contribute in any way possible. Uh, email us info on the ball teambuilding.com or follow us on our social media channels. You'll find us on Instagram at underscore on the ball team building. Over on Facebook, it's on the ball team building. Over on Twitter at we are on the ball two. That's the digit two. We're also on LinkedIn on the ball team building. And you'll find us on TikTok as well on the ball team building. Have a lovely week and be sure to tune in again next week. We have another exciting guest. Till then, stay safe and remember, cred on the fan. Talk to you all soon and thank you all for listening.